football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson, and we are here to review all of the Week 16 action. Of course, except Monday Night Football, because mm. it hasn't happened yet. Sam, how you doing? Good. You? Great. Did you have good a good Christmas? Christmas? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Let's get out of there. Let's get into this here. <laughs> you want to get this done quickly, because you gotta, you got to hit the road. i got a minivan to get into for the next 16 hours. Yes. Yes. What would you, uh, you cook for Christmas? That's the big thing. What did you get? My, you- uh, my wife what you cooked. She made like a baked macaroni thing. It's kind of like a, kind of like a lazy man's lasagna, mom's recipe, okay. but like with my mom's sauce and all that stuff. We call it gravy right. in uh, Sicily. So uh, what? It was good. She did a good job of replicating. And I made Christmas Eve. We made a pot roast and a ham and things like that. It was good. Uh, what would you make? I know what you were trying to Man, get. There was no like actual meat involved in this. Oh, meatballs. Meatballs in there too. It's so an Italian had... meal. Huh. There's no like. You know, roast dead thing. No, because there wasn't many people. We just had a couple friends over, so. Okay. Meatballs. It was an Italian, an Italian thing. All right. Christmas Eve, we had the meats. Okay. Yeah. And you got a ham. Pot roast. The, Pot roast, roast. Was, the roast was really good. With, this is, uh... with Jeff Ruby seasoning. Nice. It was really good. All right. Explain what you had really quick. Go ahead. A turducken. Yeah. In honor of John Madden. You know, the Madden documentary on Fox, which I actually haven't watched yet. Um... But yeah, you know, in honor of John Madden, the turducken, which is what a chicken stuffed inside a duck, stuffed inside a turkey, yeah. or something, or, or, or with a lot of legs, in some order. No, no, no. Only, only they only leave the legs of the turkey because the other ones have got to get deboned and shoved inside of it. He, all I know is those Thanksgiving games. They did have a lot of six legs. Leg yeah, I don't think that's how the the thing is usually supposed to come. I think they had you know, like a created a mutant version for specifically for Madden. The problem I had is that I only vaguely paid attention to, like, the specifications when I was ordering it. It was like, ah, look, it's a Madden turducken. Let's get one of those. There's family coming over. We'll be good. Uh, It was 17 pounds, and there was six of us. Yeah, I'm over here like, oh, we didn't make a big meat because we only had, uh, you know, a couple people. Right. We only had six people, but I had 17 pounds worth of turducken. Yeah, so that makes sense. You might have a little left over. Uh, I have a lot left over, and we'll have a lot left over for some substantial I'll, time. I'll stop by your house on the way. Perfect. And we'll grab some leftovers for the drive. Yeah, yeah. Was it good? Yeah, it was pretty good. Good. Shout I almost didn't Traeger. get it defrosted in time. Um, when I threw it on the grill and put in the meat probe, it read yeah. 31 degrees. That's the worst. I was like, oh, this could take some time. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, defrosting process is always stressful. Well, we got it done. It was That's nice. Good. That's good. Well, we hope everybody had a great Christmas out there. And uh, we're back, baby. We're back to uh, recap all the games that were. We do have to rewind to Thursday night football a little bit. So that was was a Thursday game. That was back on December 23rd. Wow. The Tennessee Titans defeated. It was a fun game. 
Tennessee Titans, San Francisco 49ers, 20-17. to 17. The Titans win again. Um, they keep finding a way to win other than the time they found a way to lose last yeah. week against the Steelers. Um, Which, by the way, is like, can you if they the got that game. game back, yeah. they'd, they'd have like an inside track for the number one seed. Yes. The Titans fumbling three times in nine plays. Ten. Ten plays, sorry. Only 30% of plays, not right. 33%. Give them some credit. The Titans fumbling three times in ten plays. One of the biggest sequences of the entire season. That was against the Steelers last week because the Titans win this game. They move to 10-5. and five. They're that close to being 11-4 and four and having the tiebreaker over the Kansas City Chiefs for the number one seed. Um, either way, Titans win. Uh, they win a tough game, and it was, man, the A.J. Brown show. He comes back from injury, 145 of Ryan Tannehill's 209 passing yards. All go to A.J. Brown. The missing piece of the Tennessee Titans offense. Well, nothing will make you appreciate A.J. Brown if you're Ryan Tannehill, like not having him for a while. Yeah. It's like, eh, maybe I wasn't using him to, the, to his fullest extent beforehand, but having tried to get by with, you know, Anthony Ferkser and Nick Westbrook-Akina, all of a sudden, yes, we're going to fire the ball every single play in the direction of A.J. Brown. So Brown had 16 targets in this game. Nobody else with the Titans had more than three. Yeah. Which is probably the way it should be, to be honest. <laughs> That's, I mean, they were the most top-heavy receiver group in the NFL all coming into is, the year. Tannehill's just out here. Look, all I need is one dude back. Just it, one. It'd be cool if Julio Jones was not a shell of himself. He's been dealing with a hamstring and yeah. clearly not the same guy. He only had the one target, seven yards. Uh, if, if Julio could, could get healthy for the playoffs, and that was always one of the risks of, of the Julio Jones investment. They should shut him down. But, yeah, if he could get healthy for the playoffs – the Titans are dangerous, but um, it was a good back-and-forth game. It was also one of those games, as I tweeted out, with the Jimmy Garoppolo experience. He was having, he was just he was cooking early and spreading the ball around and hitting open receivers, doing a really nice job, and then, and then throws an end-zone interception and then uh, other turnover-worthy plays in there, too. Two total interceptions for Jimmy G. But just when it, is Jimmy G, under, you know, he's a little underrated, right? He's, he's, he's been really good since week six or seven. He's been really Oh, no, he threw an interception. It's like the full Jimmy G experience, where once you start to feel pretty good about him, there's some bad decisions in there. Well, this is the game that he can't have. Like, if you're going to be Jimmy G and you're going to be the, the driving force, uh, the facilitator with this offense, right? You've got all these crazy weapons, D, uh, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk had some big plays. Like, you've got so many of these incredible weapons, this, this great offense by Kyle Shanahan. You're the guy that can steer the, steer the ship and not screw it up. The one thing he can't do is just start heaving the ball to the opposition. Like, and he got on this run of no bad games at all since they sort of threatened his job. You know, well, I guess he's our starter going. And then he went on this run. It's like, oh, look, remember Jimmy G was good enough for this team to get to a Super Bowl. And if he just doesn't mess it up, they're dangerous. Then he has a game like this. And it's like you, you can't have one of those. If you're going to be Jimmy G and you are going to be the quarterback and you're going to stave off – the Trey Lance uh, threat of your job, you can't do this because one of those in the playoffs and you're done, you're out, you're, you're game over. Um, so, look, the good news is he got it out of the way before the playoffs, but the bad news is it cost them a game. Yeah, in, the, in a game where you still had Debo Samuel going off as a receiver, I mean, it is it was, it's, Debo is as hashtag fun to watch as anybody in the NFL. Taking a handoff from the backfield, you just don't see anybody who can take a handoff from the backfield efficiently, right, and do it well, 
and then the next play is outside running a dig route and getting open, right? I mean, you just don't see that combination. So Debo has another huge game. But, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo finishes with a 56 grade. He had been, since week eight, nothing below 66, all green or blue in the PFF grading system. And this was his first time back in the orange uh, after he had a stretch of three straight games like this, weeks three, three, four, and seven. Comes back with uh, his poorest outing since week seven here in the, uh, the River Rain game against the Colts. So, uh, by the way, all those grades and stats over at PFF.com. We still lead up in? We still have a lead up? I believe so. Yeah, we've got to check the doc just to see. So and this two, one obviously is already there because it happened like a week and a half ago. It is. So the two ways you can get access to all the grades and stats, of course, NFL Pod is your 25% off promo code of any PFF subscription. And right now, our special Christmas gift, which is still going, Elite Up. That's 50% off the entire year for PFF Elite. Elite Up for 50% off. Uh, various housekeeping items, by the way, quickly. Email us. Generally, always. We like hearing from you. Um, email us at NFLpodcast, singular, at pff.com. We want all kinds of stuff. Ideas, stories, um, stuff we can do on our Wednesday show. Also, look, I, I created a T-shirt. Yeah, that looks great. Podcast. I didn't acknowledge it, but it looks good. Yeah, yeah. Look, tailgaters selling things with, like, tailgate written on them. Where it seems to me that if somebody is willing to buy something with tailgate written on them, they might be willing to buy an NFL podcast T-shirt. So t- let us know if you like those as well. And we will offer them for sale. So it's just a let us know I right think now? So. Hashtag, Hashtag let, let us know. know. Yeah. And then we'll. Maybe uh, nobody wants them. Maybe everyone will look at it and go, no, your t shirt sucks. I don't yeah, want Yeah, I don't want your, your face, face on, on a shirt, yeah. right? But well, we might. Maybe they will. Yeah. My mom. Hey, see, look, mom might want email. one. Mom and my dad would definitely rock one. Yeah, but look. I, he's, he's watching I'm right not now. sure that's the, uh, the, the marketplace we're looking for. You don't want. My dad to buy a shirt? No, no, it's, it's fine. I'm just uh, saying that I doubt that sustains the entire enterprise. No, no, we need more people than just my dad buying uh, PFF NFL pod T-shirts. Yeah. So, yeah, let us know if you like those. Anyway, Tennessee, uh, currently the number two seed in the AFC. And, uh, man, they are going to think about that heartbreak because they have the Dolphins. I had it right here. Dolphins and Texans remaining. Not that the Texans are any pushover. <laughs> huh. But... Uh, Tennessee's got a, they had a golden opportunity to get that number one seed. Niners still in the playoff picture in the NFC, though. Mm -hmm. They're still in the mix at number six. So, eight and seven, tied with the Philadelphia Eagles record-wise. Let's go to the Christmas Day games, starting with the Packers and the Browns. Packers win 24 to 22. Uh, They do have the inside track for that number one seed. They've got 12 wins, the only team in the NFL at 12 and 3. So the Packers, I believe they clinch with just one more win. They might be able to rest their starters if they want in week 18 against the Lions. Um, but Packers play the Vikings this week to to essentially clinch the number 1 seed. And uh yeah, another really good game for Aaron Rodgers playing. Can I read you my first note for this game. Really good ball and yeah, let's get into the let's get into the other side of it. Going into this game, uh Baker said it was the best he'd felt since injuring his shoulder in like week two and then proceeds to play like a drunk Blake Bortles was what I have in my, my first note. I'm telling you, there needs to be a segment where Sam just reads his notes. Yeah. Was this you just I see you over Christmas dinner just kinda I hope it's by hand. Just jotting them down. No. We have a document. Oh okay. uh, I mean look, this was this was bad. <laughs> a drunk Blake Bortles. It really was. Like yeah. the, just all these ridiculous interceptions slash turnover the plays and you're like what are you doing 
Like, you're not this dumb. You simply are not because you didn't get to where you were, where you, you have been by being this bad. What is happening for you to put some of these passes in the air? Now, look, there's some weird, like, mitigating factors in some of them. The first pl- pass he attempted to uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones deep down the field. Now, okay, it's into, like, double coverage deep down the field on a play that was never really there. It looked like an arm punt right to Darnell Savage. Yeah, but when you look at the tape, it's one of the most ridiculous non-calls of illegal contact I've ever seen. I'm not even – that's not hyperbole. Like, uh, was it Rasul Douglas? Chucks the receiver, like, 15 yards downfield, hangs on to him for another five yards, and makes that – like, if that, if, if that had been called and or didn't happen, it would have been a questionable decision into a, you know, single high deep free safety. But that's way more understandable than it being double coverage with the cornerback sandwiching it as well. But for some reason, we're not calling illegal contact this year. Yes. And uh, so I was, as I've been watching the games, right, it does feel, and I tweeted this out one of the nights, it felt like a, it feels like illegal contact has disappeared. Remember that the, yeah. uh, the the NFL had emphasized it for a while, and it's just you really aren't supposed to be able to contact the receiver after five yards. And it got ridiculous for a few years. It felt like the calls were too much. Like yeah. every, like it's six yards and you barely touch them. It's like oh illegal contact. And this is Get one of those of things where like you know there's gradations of this, right? And this is probably why it's disappearing. But there are types of contact where it's after five yards. And you're like yes, that is just part of playing quarterback. Fair enough. What happened here is not of that ilk. It's like Rasul Douglas jumped in front of the receiver who was running deep past him, blocked him, and then grabbed hold of him so that even once the receiver started to shed the, the block and get off him, he held. Like, it's the most ridiculous non-call of the week. Yeah. So, look, I, I, I had to look it up. And I, what I saw from... There's, there haven't been many illegal contact calls this year. There's about a third of the illegal contact calls of what they had uh, compared to what they had at the peak a few years ago when they were emphasizing it. And then there's other times when I, it, it feels like there's a defensive hold, which is usually a five-yard penalty. And I feel like they're just throwing it right into the defensive pass interference bucket too much. Like even if the ball's not in the air, they're uh, P.I., you know, just calling it a spot foul. So it's, it's – I don't know. Again, I don't want to talk about the refs nonstop. No, like, here, and, and this is not to – this was just a weird play because right. it was a bad decision anyway, I think, from Baker Mayfield to put the ball in the air. Um, but it definitely should have been a penalty, which is kind of the story of the Browns offense in this game. Not the penalties thing, but everything was always something wrong, right? Like Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, Baker Mayfield gets another one of those two-minute chances to win the game or to alter it just before either the half or full time. So late in the game. Um, the Browns' defense did a phenomenal job in the second half. Basically stopped Green Bay scoring. All of a sudden, Cleveland gets the ball. Baker Mayfield, two minutes. Go change the narrative. Go be something other than the disaster you've been for the first while of this game. Same results. Now, okay, this time it looked slightly less ridiculous than the previous two-minute shots he's had in that they were actually moving the ball a bit. They were going somewhere. And then ridiculous um, you know, turnover. Donovan Peoples-Jones this time, I think, got owned on the dig route, so it kind of screwed Baker Mayfield. Peoples-Jones also, like, dropped a bomb earlier in the game. On the other hand, he did bail Baker Mayfield out in the end zone by preventing an interception. So, but the point is, with the Browns' offense, there was always something going wrong in this game, whether it was Baker, whether it was Peoples-Jones. 
it just couldn't all get right at the same time. Yeah, and you if you leave it all to chance, you know, as they did, I mean, look, Baker still ended up four interceptions, four turnover-worthy plays. They weren't all the same right. plays, right? He had a dropped crossing route to Austin Hooper in there as well. Uh, but, man, uh, I don't know. Is this the game where the Browns decide we're out? On Baker Mayfield, it's, it's at point. Green Bay, and, and your defense did hold. Like the Packers didn't. They, what they score three points in the second half. Yeah, your defense holds Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers to three points in the second half. Which, by the way, is a weird. Does it feel like that's a characteristic of? I don't know if it's Aaron Rodgers or just the Green Bay offense generally, but. They go from looking absolutely unstoppable to all of a sudden being stopped for huge periods of time, yeah. like, a, like a switch is flipped. It happened in the Ravens game, too. I mean, the, the, they should have pulled away from the Ravens a couple weeks ago as well. And then the Ravens just made a stop like, here, made a stop there, and they, and they cut down a two-score lead to you know, a two-point conversion attempt to win it. Like, this game almost seemed designed to make Baker Mayfield look terrible. Like, every time he made a hideous decision or a turnover, Aaron Rodgers answered with, like, a bomb on the next play, right? Turnover, Green Bay get the ball, boom, straight down the field, absolute dime from Rodgers to whatever intended receiver. And you're like, wow. All this, you just, you already felt bad about having Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. All of a sudden, it gets made to make you feel even worse because you just saw what, like, a legit quarterback does immediately the next play. But then again, it's like, if it's that easy... How come he just stopped scoring? Like, where does this go for huge periods of time? And then the other funny thing out of this game was Rodgers passes Brett Favre for all-time touchdowns in Green Bay, um, 400 and whatever it is, right? And they hold up the side-by-side graphic. And it's like Favre, it's like 400 and whatever the number is versus 220 interceptions. Rodgers, the same 400 plus one, and then... Like 84 or something insane. Yeah. It's like the different. difference in turnovers from those two guys was mind-blowing. And, you know, even even adjusting for era. Right. It's still a massive difference the way Favre and, uh, and Rodgers played the game. So, Rodgers playing really, really well. I mean, he, he had a pass, too, that probably would have sealed the game. Devontae Adams actually dropped it. Mm. Uh, the cover two shot. So, Rodgers threw the ball extremely well, even a little bit better than his stat line would show. Um even with the three interceptions. But, yeah, the Packers' offense, I mean, that's why they got stopped. I think there was a couple drops here and there. And yeah, I mean, that's part of it, but everybody has those, right? It's just that when— Those were coming at key times. But, yes, they only scored three points in the second half, let the Browns back into it, and the Browns could not capitalize. This game also, it's becoming a theme, Steve. Rugby is taking over the NFL. Multiple rolling malls in this game. Not scrums, rolling malls. Of course. Chris was talking about it on the, the Washington-Dallas game yesterday. He was actually designing plays. Oh, you see, we got to get Chris in the rugby, the rugby <laughs> section of PFF. Is he's, Chris in our rugby He's chat? actually drawing up plays where, like, the tackles loop back around and pile in and start driving this thing forward. I like it. But multiple games or multiple plays in this game where the Browns and, and Packers are executing rolling malls. Um, and then, you know, Dallas at the start of the game had, like, a lateral thing. I'm telling you, rugby, it's, it's starting. Yeah, everybody was like, what, what's going on? It's the first quarter. What are you doing? And no, this is designed. And uh, I and PFF, of course, are available for rugby consultation. Very reasonable fees. If you work for an NFL team, contact uh, Steve and IQ. We'll throw that Thank in you. the IQ bucket. It should definitely be in the IQ package. Yeah. We do have uh, several teams jumping onto the PFF IQ 
bandwagon. You and, add that uh, as your, into your uh, PowerPoint, you know, rugby I will. consultation fee. If you could just send me a slide gotcha. explaining exactly what we're going to do, mine will be rolling done. malls and all that stuff. Gotcha. We could, mm -hmm. yeah. Mine will be done in Prezi. So if you could just fold that into the into the, the PDF, the PowerPoint. It's a, it's a deep cut. <laughs> also in this game, if you told me that Nick Chubb was going to average 7.4 per carry, so yeah. 17 carries, 126 yards. Dearness Johnson also gets in there with 58 yards on just four carries. They get feel... Anthony Schwartz and his speed in space for a couple carries as well. The Browns averaged 8.8 .8 per carry, 219 yards, and they still could not do it. They couldn't win. Yeah. There were a couple of people making the point that like, if, if they just hadn't passed the ball like at all, if they had gone in there with the New England game plan, you know, against Buffalo. You get three passes, ago, Baker. Right. Make the most of it. <laughs> Baker, you get three passes. Just don't don't throw any of them to Green Bay. Oh, plus, Chubb had another 58 yards through the air. I mean, it did feel like they were just like, all right, uh, two-minute drill, get the ball in Chubb's hands. Yeah. Get, the ball, get the ball into our playmakers' Which hands. is what they should be doing. Yeah. But this is why I made the point weeks ago that, like, Baker Mayfield should shut himself down because all he's doing is costing himself money. Like, we... The longer this goes, the more people just collectively agree to ignore the fact that the dude is playing with a broken shoulder. I understand it's on his non-throwing hand, but there's no way you can tell me that the second interception, was it, in particular, was not... He had one where he's kind of... Like, he's trying to the arm it out arm there. arm is important for balance, and his was just kind of yeah. there, It looks like it. If you've ever damaged your arm or your shoulder and, you, like, you've done that thing where you're not in a sling yet, so you just have to kind of hold your arm like this, you know, and, and pretend yeah. it's in a sling, yes. that's kind of how Baker was holding his broken shoulder on that play while he tried to arm the ball to the intended receiver, airmail it three yards over his head, threw it right to a Green Bay Packer. I, I would be amazed if that wasn't heavily impacted by the injury in his shoulder, but because he's been doing it for 12 weeks, we're all just like, eh, that's just Baker. Yeah, well, Baker it hasn't sucks. been for most of his career. That's what people are going to say. Well, either way. How are we doing on time? Was that, that tight? That was uh, not as tight as I'd hoped. Oh, okay. But a big Christmas Day game, win for the Packers. Browns moved to 7-8 and because then I have to do the recap. Like, where do teams stand and what are the st where are the standings and all that stuff? The Browns are, where did they go? <laughs> 12th. 12th in the AFC. They, they could have been seventh, but they're twelfth. Yeah, they would they have could been, have been in first. Right, they would have been first in the division for it, a brief period. The AFC North, where it truly is, if you're not first, you're last. Yeah, and uh, the Browns are in last at seven, eight, and one. At seven, eight, seven and eight. Sorry, I was looking at the Steelers too. Browns are in last in the AFC North at seven and eight, behind the seven, seven, and one Steelers, mm. of course. All right, let's go Colts Cardinals here. Uh, so the Colts win again, and uh, they're the team nobody wants to play. We remember that because, look, they can win. They can win in different ways. Carson Wentz just, he pulled some huge plays just out in this game when they needed him. And, man, the Cardinals regressing a little bit here over the second half of the season. Again, is this just their theme, the Cardinals? Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz felt like the opposite of each other this week. Where I was trying to sort of, I was watching that uh, Browns Green Bay game, and you're like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but outside of the hideous, ridiculous decisions, that's ridiculous twice in the same sentence, outside of the hideous, terrible decisions to heave the ball straight to Green Bay Packers players, Baker Mayfield actually played okay. Like his, he was delivering some decent passes to receivers, and it kind of looked all right. 
And then he would like make clang, you know, where you hit the wrong key in the piano and just this hideous sound ruins the song. That's what Baker was doing every couple of minutes. Wentz was almost the opposite, where like the bass line was ugly and things were looking bad and just janky. And then every now and then, then you just pull out a dime in a key situation like, oh, OK, yeah. And and those are the key plays that you remember. So you come out of the game and you're like, oh, Wentz was fantastic. Or Baker is the worst quarterback I've ever seen. Drunk Blake Bortles. Like, the key plays at the, at the key times are the things that you remember. And they, they sort of – it takes a lot of baseline to drag that in the other direction. But you did kind of come out of this game <laughs> thinking that, yeah, like Wentz has delivered some dimes there. But, God, that was ugly. That's Wentz, man. That's – that, look, if he starts, he had the, the rollout, Desmond Patton touchdown, rolling out and just almost looked like he was throwing it away, finds him in the back of the end zone. There were some the huge plays in there to compliment the great Jonathan Taylor, who goes 27 carries for 108 yards with a 43-yarder in there. Um, but, t- you know, it's a, they, they continue to have options offensively. You know, Pittman had another eight catches in this game and T.Y. Hilton, so... Colts doing just enough offensively, but their defense made a bunch of plays. You know, Kyler Kyler was up and down in this one, but hit a bunch of throws, had a 57-yard scamper in there. It's always a scamper when it's mm, Kyler Murray, he is right? the personification of the word scamper. Very scampery. Um, but it was a lot of – they only got A.J. Green involved for the one go ball, right, for 33 yards. Kyler threw a nice ball there. It was a lot of underneath stuff with Chase Edmonds and Zach Ertz and, and Christian Kirk. I think they might be missing DeAndre Hopkins more than I anticipated. Not that Hopkins isn't awesome, but they had done such a nice job of not relying on him during the season. I thought they would be a little better off, and, and that's going to be a factor, right? I mean, the Cardinals, might they might sleepwalk into the playoffs, and DeAndre Hopkins comes back, and people slept on him too much, and they could be dangerous. But right now, you're just, you're just kind of like not seeing that uh, production being replaced from Hopkins in this offense. Yeah, I also, um, I think Cliff Kingsbury has something of that. Remember a few weeks ago, the narrative was that uh, Sean McVay has had this run of, you know, generally the, the broad strokes of an NFL season are everybody starts off, you play you know six, seven, eight weeks, and then teams adjust. They figure out what you're doing in the course of the season, they make adjustments, and the next six, seven, eight weeks are how did you adjust to the adjustments? Because all of a sudden, what you were doing to begin the season is being taken away or combated in a different way than it was when nobody had tape on you. And the narrative was that historically, Sean McVay's offense has not done well in the second portion of the season. Once teams have adjusted to what it is he's done to start the year, things don't go the same way. And now that he's bucking that trend at the moment, the Rams offense is kind of in a resurgence. But Kingsbury has had a history of, of similar kind of thing, where the second half of the year, it's not been the same. And I wonder if there's something to that with him, the same way I was wondering if there's something to it with McVeigh, where it hasn't looked the same. Now, yeah, you can point to DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, as a significant hole in that offense and something they're missing. On the other hand, you know, we were saying earlier in the year that what made that offense so potent is that they had so many different weapons, and they still do. Like, only one of them is gone. Okay, right. it's the most important one. It's the weapon, but they had done a nice job But you're him. still, you have still A.J. Green, Christian Kirk from the slot, um, Rondell Moore, Zach Ertz, the backfield is good, Kyla Murray is a unique weapon. Like, you still have a lot to work with. 
if you're telling me that that DeAndre Hopkins out like removed from that is what takes it from being one of the best offenses in the NFL to just meh. I mean, that doesn't feel like great coaching. Yeah, and, and look, they again, they had done a better job this year of finding other alternatives besides Hopkins, but th- it, it, there is something to him being on the field and opening things up for those other weapons, and uh, we just didn't see that in this particular game. The other point um, that's a good thing for the Colts is that they their offense has been very closely or very tightly correlated with the health of their offensive line generally this year, right? And as soon as that line got healthy was when that offense started to cook, and Jonathan Taylor in particular. Their offense went back to being pretty banged up. Quentin Nelson didn't play. Julian Davenport was on the field. Anytime that happens, you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing for your offense. Um, They had... Julian Davenport had a pass-blocking grade of 21. Eric Fisher, 29. Danny Pinter... Pinter, which one are we going with there? It's Pinter. 41. Um, they had four guys with a pass blocking grade of 44 or lower, and they still got it done. Yeah, they were beat up up front. You know, a lot of lot of turnover both before the game and during the game, right? right. So that was uh, that was an impressive effort by the Colts. So an update on the standings here: the Colts right now number five seed at nine and six, one of four teams in the AFC who are nine and six. The other uh, two of them are division leaders, though, Bengals and Bills. So the Colts have this five seed just above the Patriots, winning the tiebreaker right now uh, in that wild card battle because the Patriots fell out of the top spot in the AFC East. Whereas the Cardinals, uh, they they fall to the number five spot in the NFC. They're 10 and five, and they're behind three different teams that are 11 and four. So it looks like the Cardinals are probably going to be in that five spot unless you see. Well, not necessarily, because the Rams the Rams are now a game ahead. How about this? The Rams are a game ahead mm-hmm. in the NFC West above the Cardinals. So we're seeing uh, the narrative of the second half collapse is happening again. Last year, you were like, oh, just flip the season upside down for the Cardinals, and maybe it's just a yeah. second half. Cardinals did this thing of, like, the very second you bought into them was when this started to go off the rails. Not you personally, but you no, collectively. generally. Every, every, oh, they, they keep impressing. They keep Eric impressing. had this on the live impressing. show, like one of the things we wish we could take back. He had like a, two weeks ago, his take was, yeah, Cardinals have been like the most impressive team in the NFL. Literally, the second everybody finally bought into the Cardinals was the second the thing fell off the rails. It was a lot like the Titans. I, both teams had earned it. You know, they had earned it in doing it in um, a little unexpected fashion, but uh, not great the last few weeks with these Cardinals. Working from home is more important than ever now. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, there's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for the X-Chair. With versatile comfort and extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space. Check it out on YouTube right there. You see the... The cooling, the heating, haven't used the cooling yet here in winter, but the heating's beautiful every morning when it's freezing, and uh, the massage element is awesome. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Also, all reasons why I love my X-Chair, and now I can't wait to get to work, and uh, the X-Chair makes it that much better. I get the little headrest. It's comfortable. It's all great. So go to xchairnflpod.com now. That's the letter X, chair, N-F-L-P-O-D.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchairnflpod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. All right, that's the Saturday Christmas games. We'll get into 
Was it Friday, Christmas? Saturday was Christmas? Saturday, right? Oh, yeah. I'm losing track. Mm. Yesterday was Sunday. Let's get into the Sunday games. True. Starting with the 1 o'clock affairs, let's go with the Bengals. Do you have something to say? No. Mm -hmm. Bengals 41, Ravens 21. Of course, uh, Josh Johnson gets the start for the Baltimore Ravens. Of course. Anytime you can have – this is just the NFL this year. The, the best quarterback on the Jets this season, Josh Johnson, getting the start for the Ravens here in Week 16, obviously. Um, but the Bengals, man, another statement game. And I will say, back on the preview show, we said this needs to be a Joe Burrow game. you got to go in and say, come on, defend the pass game. Depleted Ravens secondary. Try to cover this. And the Ravens tried. They tried to play zone. They tried to play man. Everything they tried, Joe Burrow lit them up. 37 for 46. For 525, four touchdowns and no interceptions. Couple, there were a couple negative plays in there that didn't show up on the stat sheet and some, some nice stuff from T. Higgins there that maybe uh, helped Burrow out a little bit. But, boy, what a dominant outing. And this was that game where you have T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd all going off, Joe Mixon all going off in the pass game. And this is pinnacle of what the Bengals could be offensively. Was it you that was making that point recently that, you know, the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's of the world, these demented people that find slight in anything, you know, they're, they're just built in that weird way, right? Yeah. Where, like, you know, Brady still cries over the six guys who were drafted in front of him, like, 20 years later, and, like, a Hall of Fame career that puts anybody else... Like, he's in the Jerry Rice territory of you are so far divorced from, like, every other human that's done this. You're in your own stratosphere that nobody's ever going to come close to. And yet, like, the mention of these six nobodies drafted in front of him still literally brings the man to tears. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Um, I think Burrow is built of that same thing. That's a good thing for Bengals fans. Yes, generally. And, you know... The Wink Martindale stuff before the game, who's like, yeah, we're not going to treat Jamar Chase the same way as Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the game. And, you know, Burrow is a nice player, but don't give the guy a gold jacket yet. Like, we're, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, factually true, but why say it? You know, where's the upside? What are you gaining by putting that into the world in front of a dude who was built like that? in front of a guy who is demented and is going to take that as a personal slight and use it against you. And all of a sudden, Burrow goes out there. And what would be fascinating is, like, I wonder how many plays that were called runs, you know? First and 10, yeah, let's dial up our Check favorite run here. And Burrow's like, to hell with that. Going deep. T. Higgins, bomb. <laughs> like, Burrow just went out there and absolutely carved up Baltimore. Now, look, the Ravens have no cornerbacks left, right? Anthony Everett was like the one that they had left, and he left on a stretcher during the game. Tavon Young missed some snaps, so he looks okay. Like, Baltimore secondary is in bits right now. And, of course, their quarterback was Josh Johnson, and as much as he did some stuff late in the game, it wasn't going particularly well earlier. But I just I don't understand why people put that stuff into the world before a game. I mean, the, the other part that's true is you can't just give Jamar Chase all the attention. This is, this is what we've been saying the last few weeks. Now, last, last week against Denver, there just wasn't much happening offensively for either team, right? The Bengals just kind of, you know, trudged their way through to victory, and they didn't show their explosiveness. This was like, man, when you're drawing it up in the offseason, you're looking at the depth chart, and it's like, all right, we got Jamar Chase. He's our true number one. And he was awesome in this game, right? Seven catches, 125 yards, looked dynamic. But you run a dig route, just looked fast. And 
excellent after the catch, made it, but made a bunch of huge plays. But you can't give him all the attention because T. Higgins has been so good during the second half of the season using that you know basketball frame. Remember when he was coming out of Clemson, you just like this dude can high point it. He's just got these these athletic skills that you don't see for guys his size. All of that on display in this game. And then, you know, it helps when you have Tyler Boyd running a little, uh, you know, out and up or yeah. uh, stick nod, really. Blown, blown and coverage. nobody covers him, right? And you get a nice 68-yard touchdown there. That helps as well. But I'm just saying, like, after all of that, and, you know, the, the Ravens are trying to creep back into it. I, I love the game plan. The Ravens were trying to get back into it. The Bengals still up at least two scores at one point, and the Bengals just threw the ball like seven straight times. They're just dropping back, and they're just going. They're saying, this but was, that was awesome. That was a huge thing to see. In, a, in the, this same season, Joe Burrow threw the ball like three times in the second half in a game yeah. when they were up. I love the Bengals saying, go ahead, cover these guys. You can't do it. It's so insane to see, like, now you're going to let him throw. <laughs> you're up. By a huge amount, he's already got like 450 yards. Now is the time you've decided, oh, no, screw it, let Joe Burrow cook. Yeah, I mean, this is what we've been calling for for weeks. Of course, this is what your offense should be. You have a quarterback that was PFF's number one graded quarterback all of a sudden, and we were trying to, like, justify this. The guy leads the league in interceptions. How come he's the number one quarterback? Well, this. Like, this is how he's been playing, except – the coaching has been out there going, no, run the ball. Hand Joe Mixon another one. Like, they have been holding back Joe Burrow over the course of the year, but this is how he's been playing. And if you embrace that and just let it rip, like, the Bengals are dangerous. Very dangerous. I, I, it, was, it was awesome. It was really impressive to see uh, what they were able to do. This was, this was how this offense was designed, you know, as far as what they're, what they're capable of. And then it's like, all right, late in the game, if you want to run the ball, mix in a little bit, that's fine. And it, it's nice to have games where the run game is effective. Um, from a Burrow perspective, he had another play that was negated in there where he slipped like two or three sacks and then kind of chucked it up or whatever. I do think he's got to be careful. He's making a lot of those good plays, uh, creating, creating yards and creating, uh, creating big plays, but, you know, Still always worry a little bit about that injury. Uh, but, man, what a dominant outing by Burrow and the Bengals against a depleted Ravens team. Yes. But, again, you have to – we always joke about the Vikings playing up and down to their competition. This, the Vikings would have come in and given Dalvin, like, 97 carries, and it would have been a, a three-point game in the fourth quarter instead of saying, here's our advantage – Let's attack it, and, and boy, did the Bengals take advantage the, of it. You, you, the only thing you need is you have to hope that this was like a, a watershed moment for them, right? A realization that, oh, look, if we actually lean into this, look what happens. Now, again, okay, against the battered secondary and all those kinds of things. But this, if this doesn't serve as an indication that this is what this offense should look like, now, look, it's not going to be – you're not going to want every week for Joe Burrow to be putting the ball in the air like 46 times. And, you know, it, it, it's going to be a little bit more balanced than that. But this should be a pass-first offense, not a run-first offense. And this game should indicate that to them. And if it doesn't, that's problematic. All right. So Tyler Huntley couldn't go. Lamar Jackson couldn't go. So you get Josh Johnson in there. It was already an uphill battle for the Ravens. Yeah. What was fascinating is that the, the Vegas line – like sequentially jumped points 
at, at each in, at each increment of the news. Like when it was like a seven-point line or something, when it was Lamar Jackson at quarterback, and then when it became clear that that wasn't happening, it went down to like four and a half or something for Huntley, and then like dropped down to two or something by the time it was Josh Johnson coming in off the street to, to get this thing done. It was just a fascinating example of you know those the quarterback moves the Vegas line right and this is part of uh, the PFF's power rankings and green line and all those kinds of things it, it's built in the power that the quarterback has on moving the Vegas line and therefore your likelihood of winning a game you sort of saw that in real time this week when the Bengals on paper went through three different starting quarterbacks at various points and and Johnson man like played pretty well Given, especially given the well, that's the ultimate irony is that the, the yeah. line moves seven points across three different quarterbacks, and the PFF grade is about the same for all three of them this year. Yeah, I mean, Johnson played well again, his 14th team. Explain Josh Johnson to everybody in, in 20 seconds. Josh Johnson has now played for 14 different teams in the NFL and four different professional football leagues. Um, is probably the most prolific quarterback in the NFL in terms of variety of of sides he is suited up for. You know those like guys that have like their own personal trophy cabinet. It's got like here's my jersey, like Joe Montana, right? Here's my 49ers jersey, here's my Chiefs jersey. This was maybe, me. Maybe Notre Dame in Josh there. Johnson must have just a room full of his own jerseys and helmets of like everybody. Oh, that would be amazing. I hope he has all of them. He's a, like it's impressive, man, that he could come in and like play decent football. I'd want him on my team, me and everyone else. He's also got like he has one of the most ridiculous college statistical profiles of all time like his final season was under um jim harbaugh at the university of san diego i think like before harbaugh went somewhere significant and he threw like 45 touchdowns in one pick and the pick hit his receiver in the hands um his career total was like 115 touchdowns to like 15 picks or something like one of the most insane statistical outputs ever at the college level goes to the NFL, never quite happens for him. On the other hand, like the league can't quit the guy. And Drafted here he is. 2008 out of San Diego. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, sticking around. Pretty impressive. And uh, Mark Andrews continues to be QB proof. Yes. Uh, as much as we're complimenting Josh Johnson, the point is Andrews gets another 125 yards and a score. Uh, no matter who the quarterback is, Mark Andrews, uh, I think in that elite conversation among those top tight ends for the Ravens. So where does this leave us here? Bengals swept Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Like, they've, they've dropped a lot of games this year where you're like, yeah, you really shouldn't have dropped that one. On the other hand, sweeping Baltimore and Pittsburgh is going to put you in a pretty good situation. Yeah, I mean, I, look, if, if, if Joe Burrow was going to be the guy coming into this year and the, you know, the next couple of years, I thought there would be some signature wins. I've predicted many of these signature wins. And signature just meaning the Steelers and the Ravens have owned this division for years. Right. When you look at, like, they have losses to Chicago, to the New York Jets, uh, the Chargers in San Francisco, those make sense, Cleveland. Like, they've got some ridiculous losses on their schedule. But if you sweep the Ravens and the Steelers within your division, you're always going to be in a pretty good spot for progression. Yeah, so the Raven, uh, so the Bengals are now in first in the AFC North at nine and six on the back of those wins. Ravens are still in the playoff picture, number seven seed right now. Tied, at, they're at eight and seven, tied with the Chargers and the Raiders. They got the tiebreaker. We won't get into the tiebreaker. Oh, thank God. Um, why was this? Wins tiebreak. Stop. You said we won't. Stop it. Stop getting into the tiebreakers. I'm still trying to figure I out. I don't care. Nobody cares. Three-way tiebreakers are different if the teams are in different divisions. 
What? You're the guy that wants to get on the road and get out of here. We don't have time. Yeah, we got a tiebreaker to get crap. into. Do we try to crank it out all in one day, or do we do a hotel? I don't know. We're we're still debating because we're getting a late start because of the podcast. You see. Yeah, we're usually on the road by now. Right for the 16 hours excursion. Can't believe you drive anywhere 16 hours with four kids. It's, it's a piece of cake. Mind. Four kids, they love it. They love it. The only way I would drive anywhere for 16 hours with four kids is if the kids were in a trailer in the in a different vehicle to me. How do you know we don't do that? I don't. I'm just saying that's the only way I would do it. We try to do it without electronics too. God, what is wrong with you? But the kids, the oldest just got a couple. All four kids would be given an iPad and headphones if I was doing this in the trailer. We did me. give them. We've, we've got some hand-me-down iPads and Kindles right. for the oldest. With like now. instructions on how to text if you need a bathroom break. <laughs> text, text mommy and daddy if you need to go to the bathrooms, nah, kids. Uh, Bengals 41, Ravens 21. The other huge game in the 1 o'clock slate, Buffalo Bills 31, Patriots 21. And this one, as we had uh, mentioned on the preview show, I mean, this was as big as any game this week. The Bills now take control of the AFC East. Both teams are tied at 9-6, and six, but the Bills have the tiebreaker over New England based on best win percentage in division games. So this is a big one with the Bills beating the Patriots. And uh, it was a good back-and-forth battle. The Bills get up early. The Patriots tries to crawl back into this one. But I thought there was a couple championship-level drives and conversions by the Bills. You've got Josh Allen rolling out and shoveling it or whatever it is. I mean, he just balled out and made plays when needed. And this is what we described coming in, too, right? We're like, the grade for Mac Jones and the grade for Josh Allen, they're similar, but they're getting there in different ways, where the Bills are a Josh Allen-driven team, whereas Mac Jones is more of a passenger in that Patriots offense and running it efficiently and doing some great stuff. But we saw Josh Allen take over and make some really incredible plays in this game. Mac Jones, this was one of his worst games of the year as far as missing throws and just leaving plays on the table. Yeah, huge statement win for Buffalo. Um, They did just enough to force the Patriots to lean on Mac Jones. Like, that was going to have to be their game plan coming into this. Like, let's just make Mac Jones beat us. And, okay, Mac Jones has shown some stuff so far this year, and maybe it's a case of be careful what you wish for, but it's definitely better than letting what happened the last time or what happened when they played the Colts happen again. Like, if Buffalo, even if they'd made the playoffs, if they had had three games like that, where they just couldn't stop the run and they got annihilated up front and they just got physically dominated by two teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Just psychologically, that would have been, I I think, probably terminal to this team going into the postseason because most of the AFC is built like that now. You, in the postseason, are almost certainly going to have to play one of, if not multiple of, New England again, Indianapolis, Tennessee, like the whole playoffs is built like that. And if that had happened to you three straight times, it would have been catastrophic. All of a sudden, they do just enough. And this is another one of those games where so many times, like the first couple of drives determines how the game is going to flow from that point on. And right at the start, the game was just perfect for Buffalo. They were very aggressive on that first series. They were run blitzing the crap out of New England. Everybody at the line of scrimmage charged into the backfield. Hope they're not passing, right? So they they forced the the Patriots to, to get rid of it. And then their first drive, they executed a pretty patient drive, which again was one of the things we were saying. They hadn't necessarily done that well. Patient drive, survive a fourth down, score a touchdown. Now you've just forced New England into a more 
more aggressive, more sort of chase the game type of scenario than, you know, flip it the other way, right? If New England had gone down, established the run early, you know, marched down, ran the ball, scored, all of a sudden you now have to be that, like, uh uh-oh, can we be patient? We have to press. So they, they flipped the game script, essentially, with those first two drives, and that was kind of the difference. Then you become this tale of two quarterbacks where almost every time there's a big moment, Josh Allen gets something done, carries the team on his back, whereas Mac Jones, when asked to do more, which hasn't happened that many times this season, couldn't or didn't. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm starting to come around to like the scoring early matters a little bit that it's that huge tone setting not even there scoring are, early but like i games are determined so much by like the situation and the flow that the first few drives can completely change how a game is going to unfold doesn't mean you can't flip that later if you you know yeah i mean comebacks happen all the time but not just comebacks but like it, specific football is such a freaky random singular play driven environment that like changing the entire situation from a like setup point of view is huge yeah and i think there were definitely elements of that in this game where the bills you know they they get up seven and the patriots match but but the bills score a couple times before the half to go up 17 to 7 and it's like just enough to maybe take new england out of their comfort zone as you mentioned um but yeah, I, the Bills just had answers. That's why I keep saying championship drives. They continue to have answers when the when the Patriots uh, battled back. And, and even though you know the the run defense still, they gave up their yards in, yeah. in Buffalo. But what we keep forgetting is the Bills have one of the best coverage units in the NFL, with or without Tre'Davious White. They've done a pretty good job underneath coverage. You know, took stuff away. They did not give up any big plays. They gave up a long pass of 21 yards, which was to uh, Jacoby Myers. The Bills make life difficult for opposing passing attacks, right? So they, um, they just they were good, man. And they dominated. New wasn't nearly as good. They left a lot of open receivers in there as well, right? And but Buffalo dominated on third down on defense. Like, well, then the interesting element too is both teams. Uh, this, they said this is the first time a team's not punted against Bill Belichick ever yeah. in a game against him, um, in part because the Bills were staying aggressive and going for it on fourth down, in part because the Patriots really weren't stopping them. But both teams went for a ton of fourth downs. Patriots go five for six on fourth down after going one for ten on third down. Yeah. So the Patriots they didn't they didn't curl up and get too uh, conservative here either. They realized. The aggressiveness needed to keep up with this really good Bills offense, but the Bills also go three for four on fourth down in this game as well, while also staying pretty efficient on third down. So um, it was a fun game from that perspective too. The teams like really realizing the importance of it and uh, trying to keep the pressure on the opposing team. And ima- like you have to be so impressed by Josh Allen in this game. Like the Patriots again, they kept it close. It was it was still in the balance. Four and a half minutes left. Fourth and one. Um, from the New England, like, 33, 34-yard line, something like that. Allen, they, they sort of fake the dive, and then Allen rolls out. New England actually has a linebacker one-on-one. They've got him in the backfield. Jamie Collins, I think, has Josh Allen one-on-one in the backfield. Allen beats him, gets over the first down line, keeps that drive going. And then I think later on the same drive, Shovel passes Stephon Diggs, keeps it going again. Like, Allen almost single-handedly kept the ball out of New England's hands late in that game and, and sort of prevented any kind of comeback. The Buffalo Bills offense, 
more than ever this year has been like, we go as Josh Allen goes. And if he doesn't play well, we've got some problems. But if he does, like, this is what can happen. Like, they they have at least – sometimes when you design an entire offense around a, guy, a singular guy, it's not a great idea if that guy, you know, just hasn't got those kind of championship capabilities. Josh Allen showed in this game that he is at least up to the task. Now, it doesn't mean the wheels won't fall off against a really good team, but – this was a, a massive sort of signature win and signature performance by Allen, who didn't screw anything up, who made a bunch of huge key plays at the right time, um, and really carried his team to a win. Yeah, you mentioned the patient drive that the Bills had. Josh Allen had a very low average depth of target overall, but he still had four big-time throws, meaning when they did throw the ball down the field, some of them were by design, some of them weren't. Like the, the laser beam to... Stephon Diggs for a touchdown, huge, like in the red zone, tight window, puts it right on him, but also had touch passes down the field to create chunk plays, um, and he just didn't miss many, right? I mean, took took the underneath stuff, created big plays when needed, and like you said, they put the ball in his hands when they needed to convert on the ground, and he just makes it happen. Right, and didn't again, didn't necessarily get the, the rewards that he deserved all the time, like Emmanuel Sanders dropped a touchdown from him, um, remember, they're missing Cole Beasley for, for COVID. Um, they're missing um, Gabriel Davis was out as well. So all of a sudden, like Isaiah McKenzie gets 11 catches for 100-plus yards. Like he becomes the short underneath kind of guy catching a ton of crossers and all those kinds of things. Obviously, Stephon Diggs had his as well. But this was not like a perfect scenario for Josh Allen where everything's 100%. You've got all the guys you're used to. Um, I think they had some reshuffles on the offensive line as well. They got banged up, which has already been – the depth has been tested. So this was a Josh Allen put in situations that wasn't necessarily ideal and rose to the task. The absolute uh, – there's a lot of big plays here. The absolute play of the game, though, Patriots have a big drive to get within five. It's 26-21 Buffalo, fourth quarter. New England has to make a stop, and on first down – Josh Allen, uh, Stephon Diggs tries like a triple move. I don't know if this was the route or what. Josh Allen throws it up. And for once, J.C. Jackson has the ball hit his hands and does not pick it off. He, he had, it had was two in picks. his hands. He had two opportunities, but this particular one in the fourth quarter, it, he would have had a run up. It, maybe not a pick six. Right. But the Patriots probably would have been in the red zone with an opportunity to take the lead in the fourth quarter, like the play that they needed. And this just kind of shows the fine line because the Bills end up scoring on this drive, and that's what put it essentially out of reach. Yeah, like J.C. Jackson has been a fantastic cornerback. He has been an insane – he's in that Stephon – sorry, uh, Trayvon Diggs world of the dude has great hands. And there's something to the idea that those guys are more of a ball hawk than the other corners and testing them in coverage – it's risky. It doesn't mean you can't succeed. Like last year, J.C. Jackson allowed five touchdowns. Generally in his career, he hasn't given up much. Um, but like testing him with the ball is risky. You, you, very, you are exposing yourself to a turnover, which, can be, which are the most important plays that defenders can make. And this year, throwing the ball into his coverage is giving up a passer rating of 39.6, which is the same as throwing it. And this should have been even lower. Right, throwing it to the ground. Um, He has a year in his career where he gave up a lower passer rating than just junking the ball every play. Um, And this game, he had two chances to bring in a pick and wasn't able to get either of them. And, like, you don't want to – 
it's harsh to be like, well, you cost him the game. Um, but not coming up with one of those was probably the difference between winning or losing. All I'm saying is there's the Bills ran 75 plays, right? I mean, this, it's not the only play. But this was the first play of that drive in the fourth quarter where the Bills end up go, yeah, they go on. the game. They go on to go 75 yards on 13 plays for the for the. It was game the start of that drive, down. right? The yes. one with the fourth downs that I've just talked about with Allen beating the linebacker yes. and shoveling it to Diggs. Like that, on that same drive, was J.C. Jackson not coming up with a pick that was in his hands. So sometimes, look, it was a two-score win by the Bills. Really impressive. They've been, they've been excellent this season outside of a couple uh, blips along the way in Buffalo. But it just kind of shows that fine line in, in a game. Uh, one player, one play here and there can really have a huge swing. And also, by the way, um, sort of highlights how narratives can change, right? Like Josh Allen has all those signature moments and incredible, uh, yeah. incredible. This would have been, I threw it away in the fourth right. quarter. At, on the exact same drive, like right at the start. It's like, on the other hand, you threw the ball to J.C. Jackson. All right, we'll get into some of the other games as well. But uh, do you want a chance? To win the ultimate game day feast? Do you want it? You're not involved, Sam. I'll still be working through Turducken, so you're okay. That's true. You'll have leftovers forever. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know on your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500 to coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Remember that date. It's an important date. Sunday afternoon, big football game. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, another huge 1 o'clock game, because there were some bad 1 o'clock games, too, which we're yes, definitely going to go much quicker through. Big one, L.A. Rams, 30. Minnesota Vikings, 23. So the Rams moved to 11-4, and four, as we mentioned earlier. Sole possession of first place in the NFC West, now a game ahead of the Arizona Cardinals, whereas the Vikings continue the your trend, right? Is this right? Loss, loss, win. That's how they're going to finish the season. Loss, loss, win. They're not going to beat the Packers? No. Okay. Well, the Vikings moved to 7-8 and eight in a disappointing This did game. ruin their streak, though, of having held at least a six-point lead at every single game this season. That's incredible. Yeah, they were playing from behind. I the, all uh, the way. Trailing this entire time. Vikings moving to 7-8, and eight, now number nine in the NFC. They're going to need to win, but also need some help to, uh, to get back in the playoff picture here. They are going to need to win, yes. <laughs> they have to help themselves and also get help from other teams. Is um. Stafford's low light reel is incredible. Yeah. Like he makes some he makes some phenomenal plays, and that's kind of the thing that's always been used to prop up Stafford. You know, is oh that guy can do things that other quarterbacks can, and he opens up every area of the field, and you have to defend every inch of grass because when Stafford's on, he'll see things that other quarterbacks don't, and fire that ball in there with that laser arm. Sure. The other hand, he'll also just like randomly pitch the ball right to defenders for no good reason. And when he does that, like, a bunch of times in a game, it's not good. He had some that were, like, close. And then there was the one that he threw to Anthony Barr. Yeah. And it's why, like, I don't always love pick six stats. 
because the pick six is usually a bad decision. Sometimes it's unlucky, but it's also dependent on the defense, right? So he's late in the down. Stafford just kind of throws it right up to Anthony Barr, who kind of loses his balance. Like if he just, you know, kept his feet, he's probably walking in for a pick six, but it was an atrocious decision in uh, in Rams territory. And these things are connected. Like the idea that a, a quarterback that can see like can see things that other quarterbacks can't in terms of like where to take a shot, you know, in a weird time in the play or something outside of the design of the play or at a different sequence. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these, the paint-by-numbers quarterbacks, the Jared Goffs of the world, where it's like, here's how the play is drawn up on the chalkboard, and you go from one to two to three, and this is your sequence, and you're, like, um, Jalen Hurts gave this great description after the play of, like, hey, how come you didn't see this wide-open dude in the end zone? What were you seeing? And he's like, well... It's all based on a pre-snap read, and that dictates where I'm going, and that dictates like how I'm reading this, and then I high-low it, and that's where the ball goes. So the read took me to some other place than the guy who busted open, right? That's generally how quarterbacking works. And the sort of selling point of Matthew Stafford is that, yeah, I mean, he can do that, but he doesn't a lot of the time. And when you break, when you break those rules... Like understanding when to break them opens up a whole new world of things that defenses don't generally have to worry about because they're, they're sort of defending the paint-by-numbers scheme, right? We go, we clamp down on this, and this is the route combination, blah, blah, blah. So Stafford opening up that stuff is the reason that he makes a ton of plays. On the other hand, there is a reason that it's coached the way it's coached and that there's a reading sequence because when you go outside of that framework and you start kind of doing stuff on your own, you are opening up things in the defense that typically aren't you don't have to concern yourself with so you know one of his plays uh one of his turnover worthy plays in this game not the one where he just pitched the ball straight to Anthony Barr it's like you know late in the play he's aiming on something that was like it would have been like a backside dig or a regular dig when he when it was first open the Stafford is like well let's wait a while then oh let's come back to that I'm sure it's still open but at the point he came back to it, A, it's a harder throw to make for most quarterbacks. But B, you're now like bringing in the defender from the other side of the field that's not supposed to be anywhere near that play. So like, it cuts both ways, right? The fact that you can even think about making that throw is good sometimes. But on the other hand, it, it also brings in defenders that aren't normally involved in the play. And you get plays like this where it comes back to bite you. So uh, Stafford had probably... Was this uh, was officially his worst game of the year? I mean, the I the so. Titans game was up there as well. And the Rams still won. So yes. that is the other part that is um, pretty important in this. Obviously, you know, yeah. not just trying to trash worst Stafford grade of the here. Year. His worst grade of the year. And the, and the Rams still find a way to win. Brandon Powell with the huge punt return, 61 yards. I mean, that was the real game changer. And then we talked about the Bills drive to kind of seal that game with the New England uh, against the New England Patriots. The Vikings... They were lurking around and making their comeback and making their comeback. They were down 27 to 13. Cousins throws a touchdown to KJ Osborne. And then the Rams come back, right? So it's a one score game. It's the fourth quarter. The Rams come back with a 13 play, 69 play drive, a 69 yard drive, six, six minutes taken off the clock to end it, essentially. You know, field goal to essentially end the game. Yeah, the, the Vikings get back and get back to a one-score game with a field goal late and can't get the onside kick. But that was a huge drive, right? So, I mean, we talk about the ebbs and flows of the game. The Rams answered. Uh, they, had, they had the running game going pretty well with Sony Michelle. So even in a game where Stafford wasn't good, 
getting some production from the rushing attack with Sony Michelle, getting the punt return, of course. Uh, Cooper Cup still finding his way to 100 yards with 109 on 10 catches. Uh, full team effort here for the Rams, which was impressive. Their offensive line holding up the way it did was really important for them. Um, when you're going into this game, you're like, if Justin Jefferson doesn't have like a monster performance, it's pretty tough to see how the Vikings win this game. And one, the one way you could kind of look at it and say, well, they're without Andrew Whitworth. The Rams offense has been really tightly connected to how well their offensive line has performed down the years. And if Minnesota and their banged-up defensive line can control the line of scrimmage and win up front, put Stafford under pressure, that's a way you can win this game. Uh, it, it didn't go that way. Like, they, they had some backups playing, and all of them held up well enough. Like, they weren't necessarily superstars, but neither were any of them liabilities. On the flip side, the Vikings offensive line trying to block Aaron Donald, etc. You know, they had three guys—their interior trio— all had pass-blocking grades of 35 or lower. Seven pressures plus six other quick wins for Aaron Donald. Yeah. Ole Udo had six pressures allowed plus four more blown, like losing reps. Um, Garrett Bradbury, like Ezra Cleveland, the interior trio for the Vikings just got wrecked by Aaron Donald. Just a lot of plays that get blown up. <laughs> That's it. Aaron Donald every single week. So another big, big performance for Donald. And, uh, man... A uh, huge win for the Rams, and uh, even without Stafford, they did it. Pretty nice there. Uh, Cousins overall played okay, put the ball in harm's way, had a, a late fumble that was uh, – I think they ended up recovering, but uh, he had a couple turnover-worthy plays in there as well. And uh, Rams now controlling the NFC West. Huge turn of events. It feel like, felt like they were working from behind to hit that midseason lull, but they're back. All right, where else are we going in this 1 o'clock slate here? It was not a whole bunch of good games. Let's go through them. Uh, Houston Texans, 41. What? 41 to 29 over the Chargers. Mm -hmm. What is up with the Chargers? We, we were joking. Texans destroyed by COVID problems, but their depth took over. <laughs> well, the good, the good thing about the Texans is that their depth is the same as their starters. Like, right? losing 15 players for the Texans has no effect. The next 15 are exactly the same as the first 15. The Rex Burkheads of the world, Brevin Jordans and Chris Conleys and Philip Dorsett's of the world, they're all the same as their starters. They flashed up a graphic a couple of weeks ago. I forget what game it was. But Justin Herbert had said something like, you know, the more – when you're in the NFL, the more you learn, the more you discover that you don't really know anything, right? And I kind of joked that, oh, all of a sudden Justin Herbert has become Socrates – you know that famous quote from Socrates that's like the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing? That is the NFL season this year. Like, nobody knows anything. It, none of it makes any sense. The, more, the longer you go into the season, the more you come to the conclusion that you should stop thinking you know anything about this year. Because the second you do, something's going to happen to immediately dispel that fallacy. Like, oh, the Chargers are really – or the – the Cardinals are really impressive this year. Eh, eh, loss, loss, loss. Like, no, forget it. You got that wrong. Um, everything you thought you knew. Like, oh, look, Sean McVay's offense really struggles in the second half of the year once everyone figures out what he's doing. Eh, eh, cooks again. Like Matthew Stafford's back on target. Even when he's throwing the ball to defenders, doesn't matter. Um, everything you think you know about this season just disappears in a puff of smoke the second you think you know it. So embrace the Socratic wonder that is the NFL season in 2021 and just stop trying to make sense of it. 
You told me you had a big metaphor. No, that's not even that. That's just a... That wasn't it? No, I got a good one later. You haven't even gotten to the metaphor no, yet? No, no. We're an hour into the show. Yeah. That was good, though. I mean, just everybody tune out. Sam said, you know, we don't know anything. No one knows course, anything. Of course, Davis Mills, Rex Burkhead, Chris Conley, and Philip Dorsett were going to carve up the Chargers. We've been underrating Davis Mills. Every time we expect, okay... That's why Davis Mills went in the third round. And, you know, we, he comes back and just starts dropping dimes like he did in this game, even without Brandon Cooks. Pretty impressive. Davis Mills made a couple of nice throws in this game. On the other hand, this is how he traps you. Don't fall into the trap. This is like we, Davis Mills had some NFL skills. That's why he went where he did in the draft, despite playing like crap in college. Davis Mills has a skill set that can function at the NFL level. It's not going to function for long, and don't get sucked into the one game where it works. Huge turn. So the huge turn in this game, Justin Herbert, just before the half, uh, throws an interception. This was uh, He had a couple interceptions. One was a pick six. I'll talk about that in a second. But the one just before the half, it was, it, that was the one ill-advised pass I think Herbert had because it, was, it looked like just a clear out route like Josh Palmer's running up the seam looked like more of a clear out than something that should be targeted he's a little late with it throws an interception Davis Mills comes back uh, I think a couple plays later drops an absolute dime in there for 40 41 yard touchdown so it goes from charges are up two to all of a sudden the Texans have the lead going into the half and then we get into the second half Justin Herbert throws a pick six second time this year him and Jared Cook have not been on the same page with with a pick six where Jared Cook He's running a crossing route. He starts to sit down. Herbert throws it like he's going to continue running, and it becomes a pick six. And Jared Cook, Jared Cook, he's old. I mean, he's been around for a while, but he's a really talented player. And had, you know, he's one of those tight ends that like still kind of has it physically late in his career. It doesn't. He hasn't completely lost his physical ability. But man, if you're going to have miscommunications that put the ball in harm's way like that, it is just such a detriment to the to the offense. I mean, to the team. Second time a pick six on a miscommunication to Jared Cook. So it looked like a pretty bad throw, but I think it was more on Cook than Herbert. And that ended up really, I mean, there were other parts of this game, but that was a huge play in this game, obviously. It was pick six. Yeah, it was. I mean, those are, there, there are players like that, Jared Cook, where you're like, why is that guy not better? Right? He has all the physical tools in the world. Jared Cook physically has everything that a Darren Waller or a Travis Kelsey, like those guys have. But he's never quite, he's never been that player. And multiple teams have happily moved on from him in the past. You know, like why? And he's been with some great quarterbacks, by the way. Like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Justin Herbert now. Like there have been some really good guys throwing him the ball. And every one of those teams eventually goes, yeah, you know what? It's just not worth it. And I think part of that is because some of these players are like that, where you make a lot of really good plays physically, but there's just something missing and an awful lot of... You seem to be at the heart of all the problems, you know, on these plays that break down. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm just saying for whatever reason, you were never on the same page as the quarterback. And at some point, that becomes too problematic to ignore. And obviously, we're going to side with the quarterback, so bye-bye. The other part about the Chargers here, the Brandon Staley luster early in the season we're very excited about his new defensive scheme coming over and he's an aggressive fourth down guy and he's got all all these things going but boy they uh, they've got some duds defensively here I thought that they'd go into the offseason thinking 
He's got a pretty good coverage unit. Staley's done a great job. He knows how to prevent big plays. They're going to get some big dudes up front to stop the run and, you know, five and six man boxes. And the Chargers are going to be a player in the AFC West for years to come. But this pass coverage has not been good at all. Yeah. And I think that's relevant to the Davis Mills discussion, right? And I don't want to write off Davis Mills too comically just but like priors matter right there's a reason this guy went where he did in the draft and just because he has this game shouldn't make you immediately throw out everything you thought you knew about him like you know the world being what it is there are people on in my mentions on twitter like oh you still think davis Mills sucks well yes i do because and this game didn't change it because i remember like an aj feely game back in the day or i remember the matt flynn game that got him paid like one game doesn't immediately eradicate everything you thought you knew about a player and go, oh, we screwed this up completely. Davis Mills played really well in this game, right? 9.4 yards per attempt, three big-time throws, um, had a, like a pass rating of 131. The Texans' EPA per play was off the charts in passing. He was getting it done with Philip Dorsett and Chris Conley, so it's not like he was just riding an unstoppable force of receivers. On the other hand, the ball came out of his hands on 2.1 seconds on average, right? which indicates guys are open against a bad defense that isn't covering anybody. Um, and again, like this is not the only piece of information we have on Davis Mills. So this is a great game, absolutely great. And I, I, I've maintained for a while... The single biggest thing that Davis Mills is achieving right now is bringing some context to just how disappointing the seasons of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are. Because this is what a quarterback should look like who's at least showing you upside and going, oh, look, there's reasons to be excited about the future. Like, this is what that should look like, where you can go, oh, yeah, here's a game. Like, if he does this and we eliminate the bad, and eh, there's, there's a future here. Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are basically not doing that at all this season. And Davis Mills is at least giving you some reasons for optimism. But it doesn't mean you go, wow, oh, we screwed up the draft eval. Davis Mills is a yeah, is future superstar here. I would, I would say forget, forget the draft eval. Renner saying that they lit the pick on fire, I think, is an extreme. Because I, I, I would just say no quarterback pick is a waste. Kellen Mond, right. Davis Mills, but, doesn't matter. No right. quarterback. But you disagreed with that before we saw a down of Davis Mills playing the NFL. Yeah, just because there's a chance because QB evals are difficult, and there's I mean, a look, chance that he's good. We're going to get to that. I mean, we've said this before, but like tonight's game is a version of that, right? I think that Ian Book has a literal zero chance of being a successful NFL quarterback. If Ian Book goes out there tonight and has a Trevor Simeon game, you know, where somehow. Puppet master Sean Payton gets something successful out of him, and we look okay. That's not going to change. You'll my still opinion. believe it. You'll still believe that he's got right. A shot. It would yeah. take a lot of those games for right. me to suddenly change that opinion. Are you because changing, I don't think he has the skill set? Are you changing your tune on Rex Burkhead? Every down running back, <laughs> 149 yards and two scores on 22 carries. I mean, again, a similar version, right? Did Rex Burkhead become a different human because we saw him in one game against a team that can't stop the run? No, he's still Rex Burkhead. <laughs> We do need to. I was thinking how we need to change the open at some point. No, he's like, still Rex like Burkhead. Nobody knows who Joe Flacco is anymore. <laughs> We've got new fans in the NFL. Who's Joe Flacco? Do you think people know who Rex Burkhead is? I'm just saying that's the same line you used on Flacco in the open. It might be time to move it to Rex Burkhead for uh, the year. You know how people, you know, team, you know, they do that and like back on sitcoms, they have a every year same song, have. but like slightly different open. You see, if we were paying attention to our like highlight, quote unquote, highlights. Every year we could redo the open. Yeah. Can we get Stone thinking about like our best quotes and highlights? Can we just start yeah, he, thinking about that? He's probably not busy. He's got nothing else to do. Sure. 
Um, anyway, playoff picture, just a just a heartbreaker for the Chargers. They would they're out of the playoff picture. If the playoffs started today, they'd be out of the playoff picture at eight and seven, losing the tiebreaker to the Baltimore Ravens, who are also eight and seven. And boy, the Chargers, just a tough one, man. Yeah, tough pill to swallow. Maybe they're not as good as we thought they as we thought they were. But the great thing is nobody else is either, so they're okay. Everybody's bad. Everybody's got seven to nine wins, and that's it. And the NFL season is winding down. Playoffs will be here before you know it, because that's all we're talking about. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The offers are getting even more amazing from our friends over at DraftKings. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. That's it, any NFL team. And if you do, listen to this, you win $200 in free bets. Do not miss out on this action. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still be a part of the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. It's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That was a good one. Thank you. PFF NFL Daily to, for tomorrow, I will not be available. Hmm. So whoever you have to replace me, just for this one show, make sure they get the DraftKings read in there and do oh it well. God, I might have to do it. Or do I do it from the minivan? Do you want to hear me from the minivan on the Daily? I don't want that. Okay. So we'll get a replacement just for, the, just for tomorrow. Just for tomorrow. I also don't want to do the read, but these are the decisions we have to make in Sometimes life. you're just going to have to do it. It'll be my first, first time missing the daily. Don't get pipped. Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, 26 to 21. Yeah. My son, Harry, I don't want to mention him too much, but my six-year-old, he thought this was the biggest game of the week. I didn't have the heart to tell him. Hmm. But then I started explaining draft position to him. I was like, listen, Harry, you're so focused on records and who the best teams are. Let me tell you about the other hidden game here, which is the battle for draft position. And that's what this game really had. The Jaguars maintaining their stranglehold on the number one overall pick. Um, If you have thoughts on this game, bring them. But I just want to – I do want to discuss how disappointed I was in the Jaguars, just everything down the stretch. Not just the Jags. Everything in this game was disappointing. Start to finish, this game was a farce. The entire game should have, had a farce. A, should have had a background of that Benny Hill music. The, Ear- earmuffs, the Harry. Earmuffs. It was your favorite game of the week. I don't want to take this away from Harry. The Curb Your Enthusiasm music. Like, just the, the, the joke background song. That should have been accompanying all plays in this game. It was just absurd. Like... Zach Wilson, one of the signature plays of Zach Wilson's season is him just walking through the Jacksonville defense as two separate guys just, like, let him go by. One who was – Jihad Ward. Jihad Ward, like, running Runs to right the sideline, just assumed Wilson was going to go out of bounds and went out of bounds with him, only Wilson didn't. He just kept on going, and Ward ran off the field. Then, like, a rat, like somebody else just let him cut inside. Like, it was an absolute mess. Wilson – the, the single play that best encapsulated this game was, uh, again, an absolute comedy of errors start to finish. Zach Wilson beans a dude in the head with the ball, flies up in the air, like waiting linebackers under this thing like it's a punt about to snatch a pick six, and then 
<laughs> catches it at the exact moment that George Fant comes in at about 700 miles an hour like a torpedo, <laughs> buries this dude, annihilates him, deletes him from existence, and eradicates the interception. What makes it even better is that the dude that he hit in the head with the ball was kneeling at the time. It wasn't even like he was in his face, you know, in an unavoidable way. He hit a guy in the head who was on his knees, having been, like, blocked out of the play or something. Like, that sequence was how this game played out over whatever it was, 140 plays or something. It's a great play, George Fant. It's awesome. It was. That was the single best play that the Jets have had this year. Zach Wilson had the highest QBR in the league this week yeah. on the back of that 52-yard score. And Great. Another 20-something yard scamper because, you know, the rush yards are pretty crucial in the QBR formula. So every 91 sequence, yards though, on four carries. Like every sequence in this game was like a joke. It was like specifically crafted to remind you how silly these two teams both are. Like the Jags needed a fumble recovery from an offensive lineman to score a touchdown. Immediately they get um, the Jets have a penalty. It's now, you know, from the one point from the one yard line. So, of course, you go for two in that situation. They get stuffed and then immediately give up a kick return touchdown. Like, what is this? This is not NFL football. This is a joke. This is a bad practical joke played on the poor people watching this game. We saw a scramble touchdown from Zach Wilson finding offensive tackle Connor McDermott in the end zone. Come on, this is exciting. Who was giving it like the Randy Moss waving I'm open stuff on the well, play. When the guy's open, he knows he's open. Yeah. He knows he's got a feel for space. All that said. That was on fourth down as well, I think. Like, fourth down, of course, let's run the offensive lineman scramble touchdown pass. I mean, who else you got to throw to if you're the Jets? McDermott's their best option. <sighs> so the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has a chance for the signature moment in his rookie career, rookie season. Make, make the big fourth quarter comeback. You're down mm-hmm. five. Make a few plays. Move the, you had a big scramble to yeah. put them into How'd it go? Um, scoring range. And then the sequence, when they get to the – Goal line. Just as much of a joke as the rest of the game? Really bad. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence throws the ball, what should be a game-ending interception, probably a 100-yard pick six, dropped. <laughs> um, so you get another opportunity. It's third, uh, it's second down now. I can't remember exactly how the play happened, but it's second down. They've got no timeouts left. There's like, what, 15 seconds or whatever. Lawrence throws the ball in the end zone, kind of gets popped up or whatever, gets caught, but the – it's not in the end zone, right? So the forward progress puts them at the two or whatever it was. So the Jaguars run up. It was almost like they did not anticipate, because they didn't want to throw the ball short of the end zone, but they didn't anticipate what if. They didn't have a second play. Right? They didn't have a second play, right? So Trevor Lawrence and the Jags sprint up to the line of scrimmage and spike it on third down with enough time. They had enough time to run two plays, but they spiked it, so lose an entire down. That, that, that's an issue because you have to at least have another – you have to run a play. Yes. You have to run a – you need to have two plays. Two plays is with far that more important time on the clock. One. Yeah, with that little time on the clock, you can't have – you can't have not anticipated a scenario whereby the ball is caught in the field of play short of the goal line and you need another play or you're burning it down. So they're unprepared or whatever it is. They spike it, lose an entire down. So then it's fourth down. Which, by the way, is a coaching issue as well as everything else. Like, is, it's not all Urban Meyer's fault as much of a This is what farce. I'm saying. It's, it's, it's the entire organization. It's, it's Trevor Lawrence's awareness or he wasn't prepared. And, and, and preparedness is, is on the coaching staff and the quarterback, all of that stuff. Then it's fourth down. 
the Jaguars have two men in motion at the same time. Trevor's actually encouraging the second person to move, so you've got two people moving at the same time, which is illegal in football. And then, they, and then he quick snaps it, doesn't let them get set. I think the, the play clock was running down, and it's incomplete, and the game's over anyway. But even if it was complete, it wouldn't have counted because they didn't get them set. Um, well, in the Bucks game, the, remember the opposite happened. You sent me the video. Uh, Tyler Johnson was in motion, right. and Brady, like, like a dad, put his hand up, stop because you can't be moving because someone else is moving. Okay, now go. Like He made sure that two people weren't moving at the same time, the complete opposite of what happened here with Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. So all, all of this was just disappointing. If you're, if you're looking at Trevor Lawrence, you know, salvaging the season or any of that stuff, showing signs of life, not being able to execute this comeback and really falling apart in that last series of downs was very disappointing. Yeah, and again, like – Neither guy really showed that much. Like, if you're gonna give, if you're gonna give the edge to one of them, I guess you lean maybe Zach Wilson because he had the long run, despite that being a joke of the defense. He had the fourth down heave to the the offensive lineman. But Lawrence had some decent plays till the end. He also had a really bad fumble. Where again, it just there are certain plays where guys just look like rookies, and it, and he just. Lawrence froze up, and he he did the the scramble backwards and fumbles, and there were just some too many this ugly was, plays in there. Neither guy, again, again, has shown much reason for any kind of optimism. Like I, I tweeted during the, the game, like not even against each other in two right. bad defenses. If you if all you had was Trevor Lawrence's tape from this year, and you were asked to sort of reverse engineer where was this guy drafted, like what kind of prospect was he? You know, if you didn't know anything about his college career, all you knew was week one to week 16 of Trevor Lawrence. Where would you say that guy had been drafted? Not high. Right. But not early, high at all. Early even, in the season. Even if you're looking at the tools, right? And you're like, oh, well, he's clearly got an arm. He, he can run. Like, he's got some physical skills. But that skills. hasn't even been evident since about week seven. Or right. Eight. But, that, like, even with that understanding, you would say, I mean, maybe second round based off the physical ability. That's it. You certainly wouldn't be like, oh, number one overall generational talent. Like, wh- there's no evidence of that. None. I'm going to pose some ridiculous questions this offseason. You, would, you would you offer Trevor Lawrence up for a trade to a team that needs a quarterback? <laughs> Zach Wilson. Just, just because, uh, sorry, really quick. It would, the discussion would be like, do you want Kenny Pickett? Because I still think Trevor Lawrence gets you three or four huge draft picks, right? If somebody would want him. Would you take Kenny Pickett in three or four draft picks, or Malik Willis in three or four draft picks, or Sam Howell in three and four draft three or four draft picks, or just Trevor Lawrence? I think it's actually a fair question. Whereas if you said that last year before the draft, you'd be like, no, you just take the guy and you go build around him. I think this question might be on the table this offseason. But again, similar conversation with Zach Wilson. Like if all you had was his tape this year, where would you say that guy had been drafted? It, not high. Not high. And even he doesn't even have like he's smaller in stature. You know, maybe has some. I mean, has some sort of uh, moderate ability to move around. Right? Is not like a rushing threat, despite the fifty-yard play against Jacksonville's defense that just didn't anticipate the fact that he could actually stay on the field. I think. Um, I think for has, both of them, you know, reasonable. But like, you're not looking at these guys saying, "Oh, these are there's signs there." Right? The, people keep pointing to the Peyton Manning rookie year. Right? Two problems with that. One. The people need to stop because people that is revisionist history and people are just looking at the box score. He was good as a rookie. 
sort as of. good as a rookie. I, one, two problems. One, the game is very different now than it was in 1998, right? And you can't just say Peyton Manning made a ton of mistakes in 1998, therefore Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence might be Peyton Manning. Like, it's so much easier now for rookies to come in and not look like a complete joke than it was in 1998, where you almost had to go through this rite of passage of struggling mightily to begin your career if you were going to play early. He was decent as a rookie. Right. Number two, Peyton Manning was better than the numbers would suggest. And at the end of that year, there wasn't a soul alive who came out of the season going, oh, you know the way Peyton Manning just led the league in interceptions? Wow, we got that wrong. Like, everyone was aware that, yeah, there's some, like, growing pains here and there's a lot of mistakes, but that dude is is for real. Nobody is coming away from this year with that opinion of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Ah, not nobody. There are people out there who are like, oh, I've seen everything I need to see about, you know what I mean? But I'm like, sick of hearing the Peyton Manning first season. But generally he did speaking, a lot of good stuff that year. Too. Generally speaking, yeah. this is very different from the Peyton Manning season where like the almost universal opinion of Manning after that year was, yeah, like this guy, they got it right. You know what I mean? This guy's legit, even if we just had a bunch of bad plays. We're not hearing that from Zach, from Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence. There is not the prevailing wisdom that, yeah, these guys are legit. We're just... We're seeing some bad play. It's like, oh, we're not seeing good much at all. The, the one thing I'll say that could be encouraging is they're both playing slow. And that's not encouraging <laughs> other than we've seen that get better. That does right? improve. We've seen, we've seen players process a little bit quicker. I'm still concerned about the Zach, stylistically Zach Wilson. So just I don't want to spend the whole day on this show, on this game, but really quick. The average time to throw for Zach Wilson, 2.9. That's on the really high end. Average depth of target was under 6. So, again, you usually have that with a further downfield passing attack. Trevor Lawrence was about double that, 12, almost 12, A dot, and he was a little over 3 um, time to throw. So that, like, that matches up well. The Wilson mismatch between holding the ball forever yeah. and not – throwing the ball down the field, that's a little bit more concerning that's to me. That's legitimately concerning. Whereas with, Wilson, with Lawrence, it's like, yeah, he's holding the ball because they're tra- they've got longer developing plays, and, you know, Laquan Treadwell's one of the guys running routes, you know? So you can kind of get that. Um, both situations are bad for both quarterbacks, too. So let's not yeah. completely overreact. I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not writing them off. I'm not saying neither one of these guys has a future and they won't be good in the future. I'm just saying that if all you had as evidence was their rookie tape, you would not think those guys are good players at all. Even understanding it's a bad situation. Like, they, right. we just talked about Davis Mills heaving it to Chris Conley and, you know, Philip Dorsett was dropping dimes in the Chargers defense all day. Like, where is that from these two guys? That Trevor Lawrence was facing the Jets. You don't have the high points. You do not have the high points they, to even be encouraged. Literally, this game was the game that each one of them should have shown a bunch of plays. We were like, oh, yeah, that's legit. Whereas what we actually have is Zach Wilson weaving his way through a bunch of incompetence on defense and heaving the ball at an offensive lineman in the end zone. Like, we're not seeing the Davis Mills high points. No, we're not. Did not believe we'd be saying that. Yes, we're not, we're not seeing the upside of Davis Mills. <laughs> this is the situation with these two. All right, you've got two minutes on this one. Atlanta Falcons 20, Detroit Lions 16. Uh, I don't even have two minutes worth. The Lions are playing hard defensively. I'm just saying, if, say you didn't, if, if your Christmas wish wasn't for a Tim Boyle uh, two-minute drive game-winning opportunity, I don't know what you were doing this Christmas. But we got it. Santa delivered, and Tim Boyle subsequently delivered the ball to the Falcons. Olakun, Olakun with a game-ending interception. 
Uh, this is the first game to end in yes, the one o'clock sl- in the one o'clock slate. That's God, what I know about it. God bless him. It ended me. quickly. Um, this is another one of those games where I thought like. Like Matt Ryan, he's not showing that upside right now. He should be torching this Detroit defense, right? Putting up a lot of points, uh-huh. fantasy points at least. Kyle Pitts leads the league, uh, leads the game with 102 yards through the air. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's there's not a whole lot here. He, Falcons win 20 to 16, and they're still technically alive in seven and eight. They are still technically alive. Um, Tim Boyle was okay until he threw the game away. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't much worse than Jared Goff would have done. Oh, come on. Goff would have been better. Would he? Yeah. That's, it's like the same game as Goff's had all season long. The great Craig Reynolds gets held to 29 yards on uh, 11 carries, too. Despite the tattoo. Yeah. You know, um, if, you were, if you were riding Reynolds into the fantasy playoffs thinking he's hot right now. Rough week for you. Uh, which we had been saying. We had been really highlighting on this show. Craig Reynolds could be the guy. Mm. He was not. Kyle Pitts not only leads the game um, for the Falcons in, in receiving yards, all those kinds of things. He's just starting to set records now in terms of, like, all-time rookie quote-unquote tight end numbers. You know <sighs> what I mean? Do we do that? Do we need to do that? Yes. We got to call him a tight end? Well, I mean, they're calling him a tight end. Okay, fine. And, and people are like, oh, it's not like Tony Gonzalez was like a blocking monster. No, but he lined up like in line every play. Like most of oh, that, yeah, they certainly until late him, in his career. They asked him to do tight end yeah, stuff. Like late in his career, the Falcons were splitting him out in the slot the whole time. And that, like, that's what he became. But like Tony Gonzalez was a legitimate tight end for his career. Kyle Pitts isn't. Like he is playing wide receiver for three quarters of his snaps at the moment, which is not a criticism it's just this is the descriptor of the player we're talking about here um what else did i have in this matt ryan did have two dimes by the way one to Pitts down the sideline one to hayden hurst on the wheel route for the touchdown nice pretty efficient game for ryan quietly um and this is something i think we predicted at one point or other the the lions who you know invested not one jot in receiver and quarterback and several important parts of the team because they were throwing everything they had at the line of scrimmage uh St. brown has become a pretty good player for them. He like, is. And he, they've done some cool stuff with him. Line him up in the backfield. Like, they're moving him around. And you can kind of see the future. Yeah. Like, I think only Jalen Waddell has more targets and receptions and, and those kinds of things uh, amongst rookie receivers. And remember, this is a good rookie class. Um, he's been moved around the formation. He's shown that he can make some plays. I, I mean, he's definitely put his hand up in terms of, you know, they basically had so much opportunity for somebody to show something this year at receiver. Okay, you're going to be working with Jared Goff, and the offense probably won't be good, but there is opportunity here for somebody to have a, a ton of targets and make some plays, and Amon and Brown has made some plays and said, yeah, I'm, I'm part of your receiving core going forward. I want to add some more optimis- optimism for the Lions. Okay. Jonah Jackson, starting guard, you know, another guy that – um, played all last year, wasn't great. He's been a little bit better this year, but he's played a lot better in recent weeks. Looked like an excellent pass protector coming out of Ohio State. A bunch of grades in the red early this season, but he's been really good from a pass protection standpoint in recent weeks. That was the other thing that we predicted. I do think this line, this, uh, this offensive line, is going to be a strength in the coming years with Panay Sewell and when Frank Ragnow gets back and if Jonah Jackson can – you know, he, he's about ready. Is he like at that point for offensive linemen to get better? So optimism in Detroit okay. in certain uh, positions. But uh, not enough in this one. Falcons win 20 to 16. And uh, again, they're still alive at seven and eight. Technically alive. Which puts them, where did they go? They're a 10th, just behind the Vikings. 
who are also 7-8. and eight. Let's go Tampa Bay 32, Carolina Panthers 6. Bucks bounce back from their Sunday night horrible effort against the New Orleans Saints. Bucks move to 11-4. and four. So they're battling the Rams and the Cowboys and the whole tiebreak situation for the two, three, and four seeds. Panthers fall to five and ten. They were once three and zero this very season. They mm. were three and zero and thought they were a playoff team. You know, making moves like Gilmore. Like they, they were they were making moves as if they they were. Oh, we got to stop the skid. We are a playoff side. We got to reinforce, bolster the team. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, they are actually doing the two-quarterback thing. The legit two-quarterback system. And it couldn't be more of a catastrophe. Cam Newton gets the official start. And then uh, Sam Darnold comes in. Sam Darnold's first play, 63-yarder on a scramble. So that was good. That was- but did you see the play? It was like a like, – I know it was a bust. I know it was completely busted. It was like a panic. Like, oh, the pocket's collapsing. Run! Like, runs in right – and then just heaves the ball to a wide-open dude in a coverage bust. I would argue he was a playmaker. He created a play. Yeah. <laughs> But like, and that accounts for like a third of his yards in this game. <laughs> what is this? And then you get to the post-game press conference, and Marrow's like, "Look, this is working. I mean, it's a thousand percent working. I'm just sorry you can't see it because talking about his process, God, their process, beautiful. and the whole thing. Yeah, he. I mean, look, the Panthers might be moving in the right direction in several different ways. Uh, the ways they haven't been moving in the right direction, I think, are A, quite important, i.e., who is your quarterback? And the only options you currently have are A, very bad, and B, quite expensive when you consider what you picked up in terms of Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. So that's an issue. You, your offense has also been going badly enough that you fired the guy that was you know, supposed to be the brains of the operation, like Joe Brady got kicked to the curb as the scapegoat here. So... At the very minimum, you should probably be aware that, like, it doesn't look good from the outside, right? And this is, you know, my biggest problem with the Matt Nagy thing was, like, every time he opened his mouth, he said something really silly and made him look ridiculous. I mean, Matt Rule's sort of, we're heading in that direction here. That's all I'm saying. The other thing the Panthers aren't doing well is picking up any sort of stunt or twist on the offensive line. Well, that's because their offensive line is terrible. Yeah. Seven sacks across both quarterbacks, Sam Darnold and Cam Newton. So uh, that wasn't great. Offensively for the Bucs, a lot more like what they had been previously, uh, other than Keyshawn Vaughn, the guy that gets things started with a 55-yard run. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones replacing Leonard Fournette in this game. And then offensively, Antonio Brown makes his return. He's targeted 15 times out of Tom Brady's 30 attempts. So uh, A.B. was the... The target early and often in this one, they connected a bunch. And then Cyril Grayson, the other guy, that kind of jumped Scotty Miller. He comes off the practice squad, jumps Scotty Miller as like the speed receiver. And they featured him a bunch on end of rounds and short stuff. He got behind the defense for a 62-yarder as well. So uh, Brady had mentioned before the game, it's going to look different offensively without Mike Evans, without Chris Godwin. And uh, overall, a pretty good start for the Bucks offense. Not dominant by any means, but a good efficient 32 to 6 win. Yeah, I think I said this last week that with Chris Godwin going down, I think that Antonio Brown is key to this offense going forward. If they, they've gone from, oh, the depth is incredible, they're so impressive, they can beat you with four, five, six different guys, to if Antonio Brown goes missing at any point, you actually have some real problems here. Um, so I, I think going forward and into the playoffs, which is obviously the most important thing for Tampa Bay. Like Antonio Brown is the key to this offense now. And if he 
gets hurt, which has happened this year, or if he gets in trouble, which has happened this year. If either one of those things causes him to miss games, this offense may well completely fall apart. Mike Evans will be, will be back at some point, but you could, you could see Antonio Brown's impact. They put him outside. I mean, he only had 10 yards per catch, but you could just see like the deep speed, running deep outs, slants, and just keeping, keeping the cornerback cognizant of the big playability that Brown showed throughout his career, but also early in the season for the Bucks' offense was, was pretty key here. Brady threw the ball pretty well overall. Pulling on Gronk in the end zone that got dropped. Had, uh, Gronk was only targeted two times in this game. But uh, Bucks take care of business. And then you've got the top of the NFC. Again, it's a three-way tie, 11-4. Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams, and Tampa Bay Bucks. As of now, Cowboys and Rams have the tiebreaker because of conference game stuff. And then it defers to head-to-head, whatever it is. But as of now, the Bucks are the number four seed. And if the playoffs started today, they'd be hosting the Arizona Cardinals in a wild card game so still a lot to unpack there in the nfc with three uh, four teams with 11 or more wins and uh panthers will have a lot to say about them this offseason in rebuild mode but it is a legitimate two quarterback system and it's really like who's the next quarterback whoever like they're just both playing horribly they, they are and that's the, why it's a two quarterback system they are the walking embodiment of that cliche that said you know if you have two quarterbacks you don't have any like that's what that's the two are. quarterbacks. This isn't like two quarterback system, which is cool, right? Which is let's play to everybody's strengths. It's like who's not bad right now? You're yeah, and the answer is nobody, right? This this is a we have no good quarterback, so let's try two of them at once and see if that's b- better than either one of them. And the answer is no, it's not. It's the same. If you're into the QB record stuff, though, they put up a graphic in this game that said, "Hey, everybody's losing record, losing record." PJ Walker two and zero, two and zero as a starter. I didn't know that. I neither knew nor cared. No, nor should you. Is that all the one that the only other one o'clock game is Giants Eagles? Another game that was kind of slow to start. Eagles pull away because uh, Jake Fromm went six of seventeen for twenty-five yards in a pick for the uh, for the Giants. That was uh, horrendous. That was enough to get Mike Glennon back into the game, averaging yikes. Mike Glennon led the Giants averaging 3.4 yards per attempt. Yeah. Which was better than Fromm's 1.5. Yes. 1. Which 5 was also better than Barkley's 2.1 yards per carry. Oh, gosh. 1.5 yards per attempt is quite hard to do. It is. They slowed the Eagles' rushing attack a lot, you know, for the most part, though. Miles Sanders comes out with a potential broken hand, I believe. He had 45 yards on his seven carries. Jalen Hurts. Continues to do just enough, making a couple nice throws in here as well. Just enough. Just but enough. It's, it's like the progress is kind of stalled. You know, like he started this. Well, he was this, great last week against the, well, depleted Washington team. Yeah. The, Who's COVID, the COVID football team, as they, they were called in that game. Um, like Hertz, I think, exceeded expectations generally this year and certainly earlier in the season. Um, and then, you're, you know, you're like, oh, this is actually – timed reasonably well for Philadelphia because they've assembled all this draft capital and there aren't really other quarterbacks in the draft and maybe they build around Jalen Hurts while he's cheap and it's like yeah I mean that works but you would like to see him still keep getting better you know like this was a good jump from last year but let's not plateau here let's show there's an upside to still reach and particularly for a quarterback of like Hurts style which is, you know, unconventional, leaning on your athleticism, tools kind of guy. Like, there are types of plays that you need to be making better than other quarterbacks, right? And if you're going to do things like he did, he had a turnover-worthy play here that was kind of 
ridiculous early in the game where he pretty much bounced from a clean pocket. Like, it was... It was muddying, but only because he was running around into pressure. So it kind of created a problem in the pocket, which he then extricated himself out of by leaving the pocket, running into right field, getting chased down by a linebacker who was spying him. And then you do that thing where you find the guy to deliver the pass to along the sideline, only that dude was getting blanketed by a defensive back, and you basically threw the ball right to the corner. Yeah, that was poor. It's like you can't do that if you're Jalen Hurts. You just can't. You do not have that margin for error if you're going to play like Jalen Hurts. You're not consistent enough on a down-to-down basis to have that mistake in your game tape. Like, everybody makes mistakes, and he'll make some as well elsewhere. You can't have that one. Like, that's the play where if you're not going to make the play from the pocket to begin with, okay, fine, But once you bounce out and you get into open space, you've got to make the play then. And he didn't do it in either scenario. And actually almost not only did he not make the play, but almost threw it away completely. Honestly, both of those, the second turnover where they play was similar. He's got a clean pocket, doesn't really throw it on time, but he steps up and gets strip sack late. Right. It's like you, you can't you can't make those plays. You have to get rid of those from your game. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck at this level of. Like, these are the plays that are going to cause the team to move on from you. The touchdown pass to uh, Devontae Smith was pretty sweet. Also got a lane. Was that Lane Johnson touchdown as well? Yes, it was. The Love a good old lineman touchdown. That was one of the weirdest sequences I've ever seen. Um, he, they gave a touchdown, and then they went, okay, let's review that. And then they went, on further review, it's not a touchdown. And then they kind of changed their mind. And they went, actually, we're going to review it again. Touchdown's good. Or what? What? That counts as a touchdown. <laughs> what just happened? The sequence we talked about after the game, uh, they asked Jalen Hurts, why'd you miss wide open Dallas Goddard? He gave, a, he, as everybody said, a very thoughtful answer. They thought we were going to get cover seven. We got quarters. Got to go for the one-on-one. My re- Long story short, the read took me somewhere else. Yes. It's a good, good answer. I Which is, think- generally speaking, going to be the answer anytime you see that. Like, yeah. guy busts wide open, and, oh, look, this idiot quarterback didn't see him. Yeah, I mean, he didn't see him because there was a read and there's a sequence that took him somewhere else, not because he's just a moron who didn't see the guy in the different colored jersey to every other defender over there in acres of space. Like, this is how the world works. Not a moron. The Eagles move to 8-7. and seven. They are now the seven seed in the NFC. Uh, they go at, they're at Washington, and then they play Dallas the last game of the season. The game, the Dallas game almost certainly will mean something for the Cowboys. The Cowboys, like I said, they're in that three-way battle for the number one seed, uh, number two seed. So the, I think the Cowboys in week, seven, week 18 are going to have to win. So I don't, I don't think the Eagles are going to have the Cowboys backups, so to speak. But um, Eagles can easily beat Washington once again this week. We would expect that. And then it looks like it's going to be a showdown with, with the Cowboys, with the Cowboys fighting for seeding and the Eagles fighting for presumably their playoff lives unless everybody else just loses in the NFC. So pretty good, pretty good finish here for the Eagles. My early season predictions were all over the place for the Eagles, but I think I pictured a world where Jalen Hurts does this and the running game gets better. It started a little slower, but the Eagles are there right now in the playoff picture. So... 34 to 10 win against the Giants. Today's PFF NFL Daily. If you're a Giants fan and you want more on the Giants, we talk about Daniel, Daniel Jones and Joe Judge coming back. So that's today's daily, and there's your Giants analysis because I don't, I just can't do anything else with this 2.7 yards per attempt as a team. Yeah, there's not much to do with that. for 44 for 118 yards. It's 
bad. By Giants quarterbacks. Very bad. Good job, Eagles defense. Good oh, job. The other thing, I, I believe that every great offensive line performance over a period of time should be rewarded with a schemed-up touchdown. So Lane Johnson got his in this game. They owe my latter one, right? Mm, Trent Williams sure. deserves about four. Okay, they tried to get him one. He was blanketed by a linebacker at the time. Miles Jack, I think, was all over him. <sighs> Trent's getting old. He doesn't separate the way he used to. I know. So Trent didn't get his. Um, they tried. But every, every great offensive lineman. Remember Evan Mathis back in the day had this, like, he was trying to convince the coaches to, like, let him play defensive line one day for a sack. Like, he wanted, that was his thing. He wanted a sack. Rudy. Never got it. Never got given the opportunity. Um, I think all great offensive line performances, we should scheme them up something. Keep them interested. I'm in. You know, Mike Golick Jr. and those guys, they love a good thick six. That's the, the term. Thick six. We need to start rewarding the big fellas. I'm, I'm all for that. Good. Connor McDermott even got one. Not rewarded, what, but, right. he, but he got one. That's what I'm saying. If you can dial up one for Connor McDermott, can't we get, you know, the he's, superstar lineman some plays? He's more of just like a, a size mismatch, you know? <laughs> uh, let's go to the Snow Bowl here. Bears win, man. Bears win in Seattle. Oh, man. Is this the end? Every week. Is this the end of the Wilson Carroll era? Bears win 25 to 24 on a walk off. Well, nah, almost a walk off. <laughs> um, but they get the. The go-ahead score, uh, go up by one on the uh, two-point conversion here, and then they did. Seattle they, still had one time. of those finally worked out. Yeah, the go for two to win the game then and there. Okay, they and had then to. they had to make a stop. Yeah, and as this you say, was, they still had time, but like finally, one of those go for two to win it actually resulted in a win. And this is one of those. I know it's snowing and all that stuff or whatever, but Russ threw the ball. Like I don't think the snow affected the path. You know throwing of the football in this particular game. Um, but this was like you've seen it a million times. Russell Wilson leads the game-winning comeback and yeah. kind of he scrambles on second down. There's a holding penalty that slows him down, and then that's, that was pretty much all she wrote. Bears thwarted the uh, comeback attempt. Impressive win by the Bears. Do you understand Nicholas. what they're doing with DK Metcalf? No, I told you that. I don't. Early in the game, so, you know, the Bears last week – was the last week against the Vikings where they had the entire secondary missing, and the one guy that like stood out from that was Thomas Graham Jr. plays really well. Started again in this game, and then like one on one with DK Metcalf, Metcalf just runs the hell by him. Russell Wilson drops in a dime touchdown. You're like, oh look, the bomb to DK Metcalf against single coverage on the outside still works. Why is that not like a two times a quarter thing? Like, what 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 are we doing? And then, so DK gets the bomb early in the game, touchdown, boom, everything's cooking. Dude had four total targets in the game. No, we can't do it. What's happening? It, to me, it's, it's malpractice to not be feeding DK Metcalf. What I've seen this year is, is, is instead of saying, I have DK Metcalf, it's I have an X receiver or I have a Z receiver. In the honest, and so the difference is the X receiver usually runs more vertical routes. Z receiver runs more underneath stuff. They put in motion. It feels like they just kind of put DK Metcalf into an offense. And he's running a lot of more Z receiver type of stuff. Not exclusively, but he's like the first play of the game, the 41-yard touchdown that you mentioned, Russ drops a dime, and that's where DK wins. There should be three or four of those shots per game. It's also where, where Russ wins. Like That's it's where, where he's Russ best wins. at. Here's what I want to study, because this is my the, what I'm feeling watching this Seattle offense. Russ had two big-time throws in the game, both touchdowns. Drops a diamond to DK Metcalf. Uh, Gerald Everett on the corner route, I believe it was. That accounted for 77 of Russell's 181 passing yards. Those two throws, right? What, I, what I've 
been feeling this entire season, even when Wilson was playing better earlier in the year, is that it is just too big play driven. And that is, you know, we have a history of Russell Wilson making all these plays, right? Like down the field. Like he's always had those as part of his game. But there, everything in between that is just really bad for the Seattle offense. They are not creating offense unless Russell Wilson throws a dime. And he's not throwing enough of them this year as it is. And that's just a massive issue. It is a massive issue in the, with this offense right now. It, for whatever reason, it's just not it's just not clicking. And I don't think Wilson's playing as well. But he had been in this offense that did rely on those big throws, but there was a lot more intermediate stuff. There was it just flowed a lot better for Russell Wilson. And I and, and I and I don't want to contradict myself because I do that a lot, but coming into the season, I did think that there needed to be an offense where the short stuff was a bigger part of it, right? You needed more answers for when you play the Rams and they take away the bomb, right? When they take those away. It feels like it's almost gotten too conservative. And then every now and again, you get the, the deep pass in there and, and you create a chunk play. It's, it's just disjointed between Russell Wilson, Shane Waldron, this offense, and the DK Metcalf usage within this offense. Always. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, Rashad Penny looks like San Diego State Rashad and Penny. And Penny looks great. I mean, look, you've got your first-round running back playing like a first-round running back, and you still can't win games. Man's built for a snow game, though. You know? Yeah. He's like A.J. Dillon West. Yeah, yeah. Well, with less <laughs> thigh and more, you know, just overall meat. Pete Carroll has his Eddie Lacy. Yeah, yeah. The man's he's packing some, you know, winter insulation. That's Put it that way. Look, if we're gonna, if, and he's not alone. You know. If you are gonna have people in your mentions, you know, saying, "How about Davis Mills now? How about that take?" I'm gonna let it's, it's time for your rebuttal, right? We have a hidden video still, still in here somewhere. Oh, that might be right. All of a sudden, we have a video <laughs> that has not seen the light of day. Yeah, that uh, you were just waiting for the right time. Right. And we're four years. Just dropped in the middle of that game. We're four years in right now. And this video might be of you declaring. It's finally, finally coming true. Rashad Penny's going to be better than Saquon Barkley. Yeah. That was, that was what you declared. And it was like, hey, let's record this just to be, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it out at the right time. And perhaps week 16 of the 2021 season is the right time. As Rashad Penny goes 17 carries for 135 yards and a score. 95 after contact. 95 after Seven contact. broken tackles. Seven broken tackles. Second 100-yard game in, what, three, four games? And Barkley's over there, 15 for 32. I mean, long of seven. On the live show, Ian Hartitz was saying, I'm so bummed out because until they say, I can't tell the difference between Saquon Barkley and Devontae Booker when they rotate them in the offense. Like, there's, there's no discernible, like, oh, yeah, that guy's the superstar. Yeah, all of a sudden Rashad Penny looks like college Rashad Penny again. You can tell the difference between Rashad Penny and DJ Dallas. Yeah, you can. DJ Dallas isn't running for a buck thirty-five, so uh, you I mean, nailed look, it. I'm just saying, four guys had carries for the Seattle Seahawks yesterday. Three of them had grades in the sixties, and Rashad Penny had a grade of ninety. Yeah, he was awesome. Now, okay, one of them was Eskridge on an end around. One of them was Russell Wilson. Yeah, whatever. Don't worry about it. It's uh, these are details. It's all Rashad Penny here. Um, I made a mistake a couple weeks ago, really? by the way. Another mistake. Wow. I called Nick Mullins the best third-string quarterback you did. in the NFL. It, to be fair, we immediately refuted it with like five other guys that were clearly better. Uh, one of which is Nick Foles. I ah, forgot. I see. Third-stringer Nick Foles. The dude's just been sitting on the bench. I mean, he'd be a better backup than probably 20 guys around the league right now. Nick Foles. More than Nick Foles' data points here, Sam. One of which is 
Get him on the edge for a two-point conversion. Get him out the there. Edge. Really, though, the, the Nick Foles thing is all about, like, I mean, he'll probably be terrible when we put him in. But if we can just get that one, if we can just get the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl Foles, like, if we can find that, we can catch lightning in a bottle for the couple of games we need him, yeah. now we're good. But, like, you know, Nick Foles' baseline is probably pretty terrible. <sighs> the other part where I was wrong, all my research on sprint outs, the Bears didn't see that. <laughs> Sprint outs. This is against all odds here. The the sprint out. Did I even drop this on the Wednesday show? You did, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you missed it. It's on record. Don't the worry. sprint out from the two-yard line. Remember, a sprint out is like no play action. It's a designed rollout by the quarterback. And, you know, you throw the ball. Mm. It had worked about 29% of the time since 2018. The Bears had it. They picked a play that worked 29% of the time since 2018 from the two-yard line. Yeah. And uh, against all odds, they did it. And you could see why it didn't work. It took Demir Bird catching the ball, having it stick in one hand, barely get both feet in or the knee or whatever it was that came down. Crazy catch. It was what an incredible catch. How'd that ball not move? That was awesome by Demir Bird. That was really cool. And, um, wow, Bears pull off the win. Nick Foles, you just can't can't bet against Nick Foles, man. Never know. Never. Classic Nick Foles game. So many passes where he's just getting popped in the chest and just like, where's it going? I don't know where it's going. Getting hit while I throw. That's what I do. I'm Nick Foles. <laughs> I'm Nick Foles. So, uh, we're going to talk a lot this offseason. Is this the end of Russ in Seattle? It's just poor right now. Seahawks moved to 5-10. and 10. Their draft pick, I believe, is 7th overall right now. But they don't have it. Hmm. The Jets do. What did they get in return? Jamal Adams. Ah. They also didn't have a first-round pick last year. What did they get in return? The same Jamal Adams. <laughs> so there's uh, a lot to talk about Seattle and their rebuild. But the Bears win 25-24. to 24. Bears also move to 5-10. and 10. And uh, the Bears also don't have a first-round pick, but they at least got Justin Fields. And they at least damaged the, uh, the first-round pick that they're giving away by winning. Yes, there you go. They dro- they're dropping the Giants in the, in the draft order there. Uh, let's go Kansas City 36, Pittsburgh 10. Yes. Dominant outing for the Kansas City Chiefs. We thought they would be without Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Turns out Tyreek Hill did make it. He catches two passes for 19 yards. But it was the Byron Pringle show with two scores. Um, weaving through the defense for touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes back, playing extremely well in this game outside of just a fumble in the pocket where you a little poor ball security there, but other than that, really nice effort from the Chiefs, and the Steelers' offense just could not do anything. Hmm. Not a thing. Yeah. Everything they did was bad. I don't think the Steelers had one good play in this game. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't grade it. Yeah. I was just watching it. They didn't have one I didn't see play. a good play by the Steelers. This felt like Ben Roth. You know the Ben Roethlisberger reports are he's been mulling retirement. This will be his final year. Like, if he wasn't set on retirement already, this game – pushed him over the edge like just being out there and doing what he was doing and then watching how easy Mahomes makes it look and you're like I we're not playing the same game like I I cannot do anything that he's doing right now like even if you put me in that offense I could not do any of the things that Patrick Mahomes is currently doing and if that is the standard for the position that I play in this game what am I doing here like this I don't belong in this game anymore like that game should have given Big Ben everything he needed to know about what his future is in this league, which is to say retirement. Um, you want my metaphor now? Is it metaphor, metaphor time? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So, 
I, I kind of get bummed out watching uh, Najee Harris play, right? Not because Najee Harris isn't good, because I actually think he's really good, yeah. but because it's just pointless. Like, they bring in Najee Harris because they didn't have a run game. It's like, so we draft the first-round running back fixed. Well, no, because your offensive line is still bad. You have no passing game. Your quarterback can't do any of the quarterbacking things that you need to have a functional offense. And Najee Harris is essentially just pounding his head into a brick wall every single play. So the metaphor is what he reminded me of is uh, way like for in history, in warfare, there have been these uh, sort of something called a forlorn hope, which they had a lot during the Napoleonic Wars where you know, warfare was sort of becoming technological and, and uh, me- mechanized. And, you know, you had rifles now instead of just sticks and a bow and arrow and all those kinds of things. And you had big fortified castles. So in order to get into these castles, what you would have to do is like blow a big hole in the wall. And then at some point, somebody's going to go through the hole, right? In order for you to have this like beachhead to attack the castle. <laughs> Whoever's going in the hole first is not coming out of it well, you know? So those, the, the like attack party that was first through the wall was known as the forlorn hope, which kind of tells you about everything you should expect to happen. Like their job was basically throw yourself into the kill zone, hope that you survive long enough to establish a beachhead for like the actual people to come in behind you and have some success, right? This is Najee Harris right now. <laughs> it's just throw yourself into death. Because somewhere in the future, there will be something better happening behind you. And it's never happening. So there's one line in the, the Wikipedia for the Forlorn Hope that I think describes it well. While it was likely that most members of the Forlorn Hope would be killed or wounded, the intention was that some would survive long enough to seize a foothold that could be reinforced, or at least that the second wave with better prospects could be sent in while the defenders were reloading or <laughs> engaged in mopping up the remnants of the first wave. This is Najee Harris's job for the Steelers' offense right now. And it bums me out because he deserves better. <laughs> well done. Well done. What does survival look like for Najee? They draft four Just more Just get out of this alignment. season. Just get out of this year and hope that they fix things around you. Survival is Aaron Rodgers comes to town next year and they've got, uh, they draft three offensive linemen. Who yeah, are I mean, an offensive line, a quarterback that can actually throw the ball to receivers and stuff, like just something functional around him. Najee had his highest rushing grade of the year, yeah. which was nice. What was it? 78.2. Mm. Highest rushing grade. They moved, I mean, he had a couple of nice runs in there. Yeah. They, uh, they could not score, could not do anything. It was bad. They even set up uh, poor Big Ben even on a couple. Poor Big Ben. Mm. But it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, Big Ben wasn't great. Air, you know, just air mails and interception early. When they try, they try a trick play, and the Chiefs were playing like a shell coverage waiting for a downfield pass, throws it up into coverage. So then they try one of those, um, the slow developing screens where you fake the handoff, you fake the end around, you set up the screen. Ben didn't even get the second handoff done before he turns around and just gets popped for a fumble. Yeah. And then the um, Deontay Johnson becomes what? Paddle hands? Is that what you call him? Mm. Paddle hands. Once you, once you finally throw an on-target pass, Deontay Johnson's you – know, he's not he fumbled without even getting touched. Yep. And then he's dropping the ball. So I'm telling you, the Steelers did not have a good play. I mean, maybe a couple of the Najee runs where he had a 78 grade, but he probably didn't go very far. So, yeah, it was um, 
another dominant performance. Do you even call it a dominant performance by the Chiefs' defense? I guess. Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs' defense is legit, and they're they're dominating pretty much everybody they run up against. The the interesting question is that offense, which it it did well, but again, they haven't they just haven't been shown the same things that were causing them problems. What's interesting, I don't think it matters anymore. Like a lot of what was ailing Kansas City earlier in the year. I think was a kind of psychological problem, which is we now believe that when we're put under pressure, we don't have, we're going to make mistakes because we've been turning the ball over at such a freakish rate of knots that when we're, when we're asked to be patient, like we talked about with the Bills earlier, when we have to be patient and execute a 15-play drive, we know we can't do it. We're waiting for the mistake to happen. They're not in that headspace anymore. They, they're confident again. They expect to make plays even if they have to do it in short increments. So simply by facing a bunch of bad defenses in the Steelers, I think the Chiefs are fixed. Chiefs are fixed. That's it. Uh, like I said, Byron Pringle stepped up. He takes a slant, makes a guy miss, makes another guy miss, sneaks in the end zone for a touchdown. Michael Hardman had a nice little run after the catch for a touchdown as well. Mahomes, again, did not miss a ton of throws, put the ball in harm's way just one time, had a couple big-time throws in there as well. So, yeah, the Chiefs look a lot more like we expected them to look. Uh, we'll, and they did this without Travis Kelsey. And Tyreek Hill caught the first pass of the game and then not much else was out there. But, you know, but him was being not out there is fact. important. Him being out there is, is huge, absolutely. Uh, but, you, but having the Pringles and the Hardmans of this is, what, this is what Chiefs fans, I think, have been frustrated by. Right, like Pringle has not been bad during his career. He's shown these flashes and all that stuff. Hardman has shown flashes, but he's been very inconsistent. Like if they played this type of game and you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey out there, that's when the Chiefs become unstoppable. You just haven't had that same level of consistency. Plus, you have Derek Gore making plays down the field in the past game out of the backfield. So, you know, unstoppable all around. Um, so the Chiefs they move to eleven and four. Um, they do control the number one seed. They're headed. For a huge matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals next week. Yeah. We've got Chiefs-Bengals next week with all sorts of implications on the line here. But yeah, the Chiefs, if they win out, they will get the number one seed. Titans fans will be watching that game closely because if the Bengals can pull the upset, which is reasonable, which is, which is doable, if the Bengals can pull the upset, the Titans can win out and become the number one seed. So that's what we're looking at there. And for all of the disappointment that Pittsburgh should have watching this game. Pittsburgh still controls their own playoff destiny. Pittsburgh can still win the division. They can win the division if they win the next two games. If Yeah, if they win out and Cincinnati loses out, Pittsburgh can win the AFC North. Yeah, and either way, they can get into the playoffs right. by, uh, by winning these next two. So the 7-7-1 seven, seven, Steelers, what do they have, the uh, Browns and Ravens left? Yeah, I think so. Right, Browns and Ravens left these last couple weeks. Steelers still lurking. And Mike Tomlin, Still what's his record? He's yet to have a losing record. He's going to finish eight. He's eight, got eight, one, one game. He needs one win left to eight, avoid eight the one. losing record right? again. Eight, eight, and one for the Steelers. It's coming. Which, Plus, given everything we've just been talking about with Pittsburgh and what's wrong with them, genuinely would be a phenomenal achievement for Tomlin. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it would be. They're like, not, this team... Be should be horrendous, and it isn't largely because of Tomlin. He's keeping them all together. Las Vegas Raiders, 17. Broncos, 13. Uh, Drew Locke gets the start for the Broncos. They could not convert on third down. Derek Carr, what kind of injury? He got tugged. What was his uh, 
left arm injury. He looked like he was banged up after he got hit on one play. He put the ball in harm's way a couple times, but threw the ball pretty well, 20 of 25 for 201 yards. And uh, big win for the yep. Raiders. They moved to 8-7. and seven, And, of course, they're in the mix like everyone else. Great stat coming out of this game. Um, Andrew Mason tweeted this. Since week 17 of last year, NFL teams are 35-4-1 with turnover margins of plus three or better. Denver is responsible for two of the four losses. Wow. That's what it did. You know, you, my perception of games sometimes is when you're taking in all the action. And the, it did feel like every time I turned up, I looked up, Derek Carr was fumbling. And there was a turnover coming from the Raiders or a bad interception or whatever it was. But they overcame, obviously. And uh, the Broncos did not take advantage at all. As you mentioned, what, two out of the four losses in those situations? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Um, so obviously it was a huge game. Both teams were eight and seven coming in. The Raiders moved to the number eight seed. Uh, sorry, nine seed, uh, tied with the two other teams at eight and seven. The Ravens and the Chargers. Drew Locke had, Drew Locke had like a peak Teddy game, and it still didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, like he didn't have the crazy wheel of fortune, spin the wheel and see what happens in this throw game that everybody was expecting him to have. Maybe they should have. Like the fun, crazy, bad. Should have been more aggressive. He went out there. He was, generally speaking, accurate and efficient and had a couple of nice throws and didn't have any big mistakes, and it didn't matter. His best throw probably to Cortland Sutton, deep crosser, uh, early in the first quarter. Sutton couldn't keep his feet in bounds, right? That was... One of the big-time throws in there from Locke. Um, so it was – he had this game against New England last year. He also kind of back-shouldered a corner route, which was right, like to back-shoulder it away from the leverage of the defender. And uh, neither one of those good throws showed up on the stat sheet. That was the game Drew Locke had against New England last year where he had like five big-time throws and only, only one of them was complete. So sometimes the the nice plays don't uh, don't pan out a whole lot. The question for them and him, and what's unfortunate is you don't really have time to work this out anymore. Is like, does this can can this game only exist because you basically went, Drew? Don't screw it up. Don't do anything stupid. You know, be efficient. Be Teddy. Be channel Teddy Bridgewater. Be Teddy. Teddy can't play, so you be Teddy. Go out there. Don't screw it up, and then we win this game. Or can you get this where you say where he doesn't make the mistakes, you make a couple of big time throws, and you say, now just just push it a little bit, you know? Dial it up a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive. And if we can get just a slightly higher baseline and you still don't make mistakes, now we have a quarterback. I think it was more they just didn't capitalize when he made those plays, right? And then they- But even then, like even if you give him those two plays, you're adding what? 50, 75 yards onto a stat sheet. So now you're talking like... Yeah, but then you're, then you're 18 for 24 for like 220 or right, whatever. Right, which is probably the difference between winning or losing, but you're not coming out of this game being like, oh, Drew Locke's the truth. He's the future. Like, you're saying, okay, this was a nice, efficient... This was a Teddy Bridgewater plus, you know? But what we're looking for here is the next step. We're looking for the guy that's better than that, not just the guy... We already have the guy that can do that. Teddy Bridgewater can do that. We've seen that a lot. The question is, can you do more than that? And that's the open question is, can you, in addition to the things that Teddy does, add on top of that and bring more? I think the bigger, the bigger issue is the Broncos' run game, though. This two-headed monster of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. I mean, just they combined for eight yards. And yeah. uh, so they could do this math. They combined for eight yards. Melvin Gordon, I mean, uh, Javante Williams had 12 of them. 
Mm. Yeah. So Melvin, seven carries for negative four. Well, also, um, yeah. So they had eight yards, but they had 22 yards after contact. Yeah. Not great. No. <laughs> Not great. Melvin Gordon had seven carries for minus four yards. That's what I'm saying. But he had five yards after contact. Did what he could. He did what he could. Raiders just won up front, man. They won up front in the run game. Um, Josh Jacobs had a nice game, 27 carries for 129. So they moved the ball a lot better on the ground than they had in, in the past for, uh, for Vegas. And, uh, look, they won. Raiders win with, uh, with the underneath game and the conservative Derek Carr still averaging under seven yards per target. But yeah, and remember, like, he's doing this without all of his good receivers. Like, the dude does, still doesn't have Darren Waller. He's just missing Darren Waller. Um, he's missing da- – yeah, but like his – that Brian mean, But in missing, in missing Darren Waller, having already sent Henry Ruggs packing, um, you, your best receivers are Hunter Renfro and Zay Jones and Foster Moreau. Like this is who he's getting done with. So 8-7 and seven Raiders still lurking for the Broncos. This, um, this drops, them, drops them to number 13 in the AFC. All but knocks them out, right? of the playoff picture here. They're still technically in the mix. Anything can happen. But uh, they're 13th. Somebody's draft pick is going to jump like 15 spots off the base of losing in week 18. The AFC is fascinating. So the Browns and Broncos are tied at 12 and 13 seeding. The 14th and 15th seeds are the Jets and Texans at 4 and 11. So it's 4 and 11. And then the teams right above them are 7 and 8. Like there's just no 5 and 6 win teams. Yeah, in the AFC right now. And let's wrap it up with Sunday Night Football. Oh, boy. That's it, right? Did I miss anything? The football team, 14. Of course, Dallas had 56. Yeah. It was 56-7 to seven at one point. Dallas getting pick sixes and fumble returns for touchdown, blocked punts for touchdown, sorry. Um, dominant outing by the Dallas Cowboys. And Dak was back for the first time in a while. Yeah. And he said, I don't think you can say that the Dallas Cowboys offense is in a slump anymore. And you're right. I mean, Well, no, not after you put up 56 now. points. But they were. They were in a slump. It would, in fact, be a very silly thing to say after <laughs> the back of 56 points. Chris called me this week asking about Dak, and he was, he was watching his mechanics. Everything he was talking about on the show last night about back foot coming up and this and that did look, did look better. I really thought Dak was in a slump. Not so much throwing the ball, but seeing the field. I mean, he still forced a couple in this one. But, boy, some big-time throws and – Zipping it in there, and uh, the Dallas offense showing the explosiveness that they are always always capable of. Yeah, them if they are back to this degree, they become arguably as good as any team in the NFL again. Like it was always a double-edged sword in terms of how you read it. Right on the one hand, if you want to take the pessimistic view, the biggest problem with the Dallas Cowboys over the past few weeks has been the most important player they have is playing badly to the point where he's throwing the ball to the defense uh, multiple times a game, um, inviting turnovers, causing games to be closer than they should. And while that's not necessarily a big deal against Washington, it's probably a big deal against Green Bay in the AFC, in the NFC Championship game. Or, you know, other Tampa Bay, same thing, right? You're, when you get to the, the crunch games in, in January, that's going to be a, a problem. On the other hand, you're like, well, Literally one thing needs to change for this team to be the best team in the NFL, which is Dak Prescott to go back to playing how he was playing earlier in the year. If you're like of the optimistic view. Now that just happened. Yeah. Like all of a sudden Dak Prescott looked like the Dak Prescott earlier in the year. 
And if that guy is here to stay, now you go back to saying, well, this offense is basically unstoppable. You've got receiving weapons everywhere. You've got Dak who can deliver the pass, make plays with his legs. You've got a run game that's dominant with a great offensive line. And you've got a defense that can't stop forcing turnovers and causing problems up front with all their pass rushers. It started with the first pass right to Trayvon Diggs. I, yeah. I, I don't understand... You can still test Trayvon Diggs, right? Like they, they pulled up a graphic at some point on Sunday Night Football where they sort of tried to explain. They, they explained his PFF grade without mentioning his PFF grade. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's boom or bust for Trayvon Diggs. He's either picking you off or he's giving up a ton of yards. And, you know, he, he got beaten by um, uh, Deami Brown later in the game, right, the exact perfect example, Brown just beat him on that play, and it was a big completion over Trayvon Diggs. So you can definitely target Trayvon Diggs and beat him. You can't throw the ball that Heineke threw. Everyone was like, oh, Diggs ran the route like the receiver. It's like, yeah, he also had the target like he was the receiver. Like the ball was thrown to his leverage. Yeah, It was a target that was possible but not anywhere near where that ball was thrown and everyone's like oh yeah he ran a better route than uh than terry mclaurin did like well yes but partly because the ball was basically thrown to him as opposed to terry mclaurin which certainly helped like i you know he's he's he did a great job on that play he has great hands which makes those plays dangerous but that was ridiculous ball location yeah um Diggs has been like even the grade's been better in recent weeks overall. Yeah, he's making a ton of plays on the ball. Obviously, eleven interceptions is nuts. And then up front, uh, you have got you have you starting to see Demar- you have Demarcus Lawrence picking off a pass like 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 a young Tony Brackens picking off a pass. <laughs> it's not a batted pass; just picks it off, catches it, and runs it back for a touchdown. Incredible play. You have Micah Parsons. So now with Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence out there, now you could have Micah Parsons say, "Hey." Target on you, Eric Flowers. I'm going to just line up over you. I'm going to rush over the guard for a sack. Man, Dallas is dangerous defensively. Yeah. And now they're dangerous offensively. Yes. And here's what I love about the NFC and their playoff picture here. Chris was already kind of hinting at it. Are we going to see Aaron Rodgers and the Packers face the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy? Great storyline there. But a lot of these top teams haven't actually played each other. We've seen, we haven't seen Packers-Cowboys. We haven't seen Packers-Bucks. We haven't seen the Cowboys play the Rams or the Cardinals or the Packers. Like, there's a lot of these top four or five teams in the NFC. We actually haven't seen these matchups yet. And, and they're it, all winning. They're all, they all have 10-plus wins. It's, it's going to be awesome in the NFC. And as much as Green Bay looks like they've not locked it up, but Green Bay is certainly the favorite now for that number one seed and the playoffs going through Lambeau, um, they are a team that the betting market is a lot cooler on than the hype, right, or the fact that they have the best record or that they're going to have that number one seed. And part of it is because, you know, they haven't played teams like Tampa Bay or Dallas. Remember when they played Arizona, they are an A.J. Green, like, looking for the ball away from losing that game. Um, And they haven't been covering the spreads in recent weeks. And they've had games like that Cleveland game where they just stopped scoring and all of a sudden... Don't, don't channel Eric. I'm not... So what I'm saying is that all of a sudden, like, there's a reason that the betting market is cooler on the Packers and everybody else. And as much as they, they are going to get this huge boost, potentially, of the playoffs having to go through their building, 
that they might need it because they're going to face a bunch of teams that are better than the teams they've been beating so far. Yeah, and look, I think this is what's going to it's going to be really fun when it comes to playoff time. The Packers so the Cowboys still have a shot at that number 1 seed. Right. I don't know what the tiebreaker will look like between them and the Packers, but if you're a Dallas fan, you're rooting for them to uh, the Packers to lose against the Vikings in particular this coming week, not so much the Lions in week 17. I don't think the I don't think the Lions have that in them. I think Dan Campbell has it in them. Week 18, I mean. Who knows? Maybe. In this year. A couple more espresso shots. True wisdom lies in knowing you know nothing. After two hours and 20 minutes, we know nothing. Just remember, we know nothing. The good thing is neither there's anybody else. True. Can't go anywhere else to get lack of knowledge. Like Who, uh, who wins the fight if Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne get, get released you know, to go at each other? Oh, I think it's Allen, right? Allen wins the fight? Yeah. Hmm. He's more explosive. Pain it feels like it's it's like a heavyweight UFC contest, right? Where whoever connects, I mean, that's it, right? It's over in one punch. Yeah. Like, if, so it's about defense. So well, so if Allen, so what the I'm saying is, player? if Allen connects on that first shot, like it's over right there. He just walks off. A couple Bama teammates and football team teammates here. Yeah. History. And he said, uh, <laughs> "Look, brothers fight." I can't remember who was tweeting it, but it was like I love the implication that this like something that uh, that uh, after. Like, so something that Deron Payne said like eight years ago that's just been gnawing at Allen for like, <laughs> I like so that. Now, now I finally had enough. Like they were freshmen together. Right. And it's like, ah, oh, I've been waiting for this moment here. They like, you know, took his, took his sweets like eight years ago and it's just been gnawing at him for the last decade and now he's finally snapped. Brothers fight, man. It happens. Football team falls to six and nine, but don't lose hope, football team fans. Still alive. Still alive. Right? Yes. Sure. Number 11 seed. Panthers and lower. They're all eliminated. Panthers, Bears, Seahawks, Giants, and Lions. You're all eliminated. Go to pff.com for our draft coverage. And the mock draft sim. And the mock draft simulator. If you're in the AFC, Jets, Texans, Jaguars, you're all eliminated. Go to pff.com for the mock draft sim. Also go use the promo code NFLPOD for 25% off any PFF subscription. And, of course, you could still elite up. For 50% off, just PFF Elite, using the promo code ELITEUP. Look at that fancy graphic. I know, the graphics look great on YouTube here. And they don't look great in the audio version. Not in the audio, you can just hear us. So anyway, anything else to cover this week? No. I had to get in the van. <laughs> you got to go pack the van, hit the road. 16 hours of minivan. Yeah, but it might, might be broken up over two days, which is nice. We might break it up, we'll see. Yeah. Find a hotel. But then you just get better. so close, it's just like, man, do we just grind it out? Everything about this trip sounds hateful. But once you get there, it's funny. You get to see my parents, hang out. Then you got to do it again on the way back. Usually I pawn that off. <laughs> I usually, my, my, Kelly's got a big family and she's got some great sisters that will uh, drive with her. I don't know a human being that I would be willing to take that trip with, you know, as like a favor. Yeah. Hey, can you help me out here and drive 16 hours with me in a van full of four kids? No, no, I can't. Oh, by the end of it, her sister looks at me and is just like, don't even talk to me. Yeah. She's very upset. I, no, there's nobody I know that I would do that for. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame you. <laughs> so I got to do it again. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. I do. Yeah. That doesn't... But I'll be back in my... I'll be recording from my parents' basement again, which is cool. sound like a good time. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Anyway, we got to go. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday. Might have a special guest on the Wednesday show. Mm-hmm. And then I'll certainly be back on Thursday previewing all the Week 17 action. But enjoy Monday Night Football. Enjoy it.
first uh, first chapter of Ian Book's story here on Monday Night Football. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Wednesday. <laughs>